Chani. I'm at Lottie's. And you're listening to Meet Us at Molly's. And I'm excited about today's show because it's going to rock. going to be all sunshine and roses, but I can promise it's going to be a hell of a ride. All right, guys, welcome back to Meet Us at Molly's episode 244. We are talking about the midseason finales that aired last night. So 809, 1109, and 1009. Um, Gina is not here this week. She is on her honeymoon slash birthday trip, living it up in Hawaii. But I have a very special guest filling in for her. Rachel, welcome back. Hi, I'm excited to be here. All right. So we don't really have new. I mean, there's a ton of news. Like there were a bunch of postmortems that came out, whatever, but I'll kind of spring, we'll kind of sprinkle those as we talk. So, but since we don't really have any news, Rachel, I kind of want to catch up with you because we haven't been on in a little bit. So I'm curious, what are your thoughts so far on the season? So like, are you liking them? Are you not liking them? I know a lot of people have a lot of mixed feelings about the season. So I'm curious where you stand so far. So I'll start with PD because that right. one's the hardest for me. Yeah. Um, it's always been my least favorite of the three. Am I allowed to say that? Mm-hmm. Um, it's always just been the one I've been not. It's just, it's a different, I'm a big Law & Order SVU fan. And so I'm used to that rhythm and the rhythm of PD and its crime is just different. And I just can't get into it Yeah. Um, as well. And there are certain characters and backstories I like, but then the shifting between character each time makes it hard to want to watch the next week because what you were just attached to, you have to wait to keep hearing. Right. Um, I'm struggling with the characters this season on top. Like I, I enjoyed it for a while, but like right now I'm real, really struggling, particularly, I think, I mean, it's what everyone's saying. Like the Haley J thing is weird. The characters are acted really out of character. That sounded weird. Um, I really do enjoy all of the, uh, Kit Burgess Ruzik episode like the Michaela yeah. stuff is cute but even then it's only a part of the story and then you're watching this whole crime and the crime has never been all that interesting yeah as we've known so like I'm eh on PD I'm 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 hoping it will get better as they get comfortable with the lack of Halstead there and yeah maybe they'll ease into something um Med just feels repetitive these days. Like, I'm liking the characters, I'm liking the stories, but I'm not hooked on anything right now. Um, yeah. I am intrigued by um, Archer's, like, redemption a little bit. Mm-hmm. He was, like, this awful, awful character last, I think last year was when he was introduced, right? Or was it two mm-hmm. years? Two years. Okay, it, it's all blending together when I watched yeah. it all yeah. in a period of four months. Um, but I've really enjoyed the fact that, like, you don't hate him as much now, but, like, he also still has a very different opinion. I'm enjoying um, Mar- uh, Marcel's arc on, like, just with this billionaire is intriguing. But some of the others, I'm kind of like, I need a character to grab onto. And I feel like I was getting into, um, what's the daughter's name? Vanessa. Um, Vanessa. And then she's gone. And like, 
Will is just being Will these days. So <laughs> I need I need something to get excited about the way we used to. Um, mm-hmm. And then Fire, I'm just adoring. I mean, like everybody, I was heartbroken um, with the Hawkins thing. and But I'm loving the way they're, like, remembering him throughout. Like, I think I I did love Brett and Casey, but I'm loving this this her getting excited about a new guy and the fact that there's this like little Hawkins connection, which is super cute. Um, Gallo's making me laugh every single episode and they've leaned into the humor this season, which I think is also fun. Like, I feel like every episode has something that makes me laugh out loud. And then oh, I can't wait to talk about this week because I was definitely crying um, at a couple points. Like the whole crew storyline with the adoption is just like, Makes my heart. So, like, Fire continues to be, like, an all-time favorite. I have to watch it live every week. Like, and because of the potential for a crossover one day, I keep watching the others. <laughs> yeah, because you've never gotten experience, like, an actual crossover, like, yeah. for real, for real. Yeah. I know. I hope they'll do another one. I do miss the crossovers. And I'm like, if Law and Order can do one, and then, like, CSI can do one, like, if all these other shows can do one, like, it's, come on now. Yeah, they're, they're, they can, they can do it. I know it's big, and I know it's hard to coordinate, like, that many people, but, like, those were some of the best episodes. Like, I was re-watching the Apartment Fire one. Oh, yeah, that A couple great. weeks ago, and I, like, I just happened to turn the fire on, and so then I was, like, I couldn't turn off. Like, I, I stayed yeah. up, like, two hours later because I had to watch the whole thing, and just, like, yeah. it's so masterfully done. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting, though, so going back to, obviously, your feelings, it's interesting that you think that you're still really loving fire. I still like fire, but I think this season has not been as good to me personally and I know I think I know a lot of people feel the same way so it's interesting that you still think it's like just as amazing as ever I don't know if I'd say it's just as amazing as ever and don't forget I only got half a season of watching it live last year right and you only recently binged it you finished it right in January of this year I finished it in January so like I've so like right you have come from it from a different perspective yeah So it is still, it still brings me joy every week is basically, I think where I was going. Like, I agree. I'm a little bit not in love with, um, I can't even ever remember his name. Carver. Carver. Like I, I am confused about Carver a little bit and like, he's not selling me the way, like, um, I'm awful with names. Who was the Lieutenant before Stella? He, like I loved Pelham like I would watch yeah. I was re-watching a season 10 episode last week and like Pelham was great Carver's not doing it for me right now but he has the potential um I'm enjoying seeing Stella and Severide married like I think just the little things of how they behave married is just yeah. it's fun to watch and I I hope against all hope that they find a way to keep it as long as the show wants to keep going forever and ever just as like comfortable and happy and keeping that fresh and not like breaking our hearts the way every show seems to have to yeah um, yeah i yeah i do enjoy- say, yeah. i do agree i was gonna say married stellaride is like in a class all its own it's, it's yeah pretty great it's pretty and great. then you know 
as much as I was absolutely devastated that Hawkins left, the acting of um, Hanako in yeah. this season is is just such a joy to watch. And just the storylines they've written for her character are just so good. Yeah. That that's also bringing a lot of redemption to the season for me. Like, of course I'm devastated, but I'm, I'm really loving watching her go through this and just like, I mean, that's a weird thing to say, like, no, I'm I, not, yeah. but like, it's just such good. It feels like very good storytelling, very good acting and very realistic, realistic. And it's, it's it's there are parts where it's really funny there are parts where it's like heartbreaking there are parts where it's really sweet and like her interaction with all the people around it like of course that first episode was great her interaction with Severide but like then just the little things with Gallo and Ritter and like how how she's like like teaching them to be a good friend in this situation too like those moments are excellent yeah, no, I agree. Hanako's acting has been, like, definitely for me one of the bright spots this uh, first nine episodes for sure. Um, across yeah, all and- three shows, like, she's just she's just killing it. Yeah, she's doing great. I'm I'm I love her. hoping this is the beginning of a very great career for her because she has oh, for, yeah. a lot of talent. Yeah, she's incredible. Um, so, I will say, but, like, there's the other thing is there's not much on network tv that i'm loving that much that makes me excited to watch week to week so that's another reason that like chicago fire just feels good because any other network show i've been watching is also not entertaining me in the same yeah, way, with the exception I, of one <laughs> i know which one the rookie i know which one. Yeah. yeah 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 I, so, can, I would I would really agree. I feel like network TV, which is a whole separate conversation, but I feel like network it's like there are a few that I watch every day, you know, like every week, but like yeah, not as much as I feel like I used to. Well, and I don't even look forward to the ones. Yeah. That I used to like turn go. I used to like look forward to like Friday and Saturday when I'd look at my DVR and be like, ooh, I get to catch up on everything. And now it feels like some of them it feels like a chore. Like, oh, I should catch up. I really don't want to type situation yeah that's kind of how i feel like with 911. i'm like okay i'm gonna watch but like eh. oh okay so you're justifying me not getting back into that because i i feel like gina had been trying lone for a while. star lone star which will okay. come back in mid-season it's not okay. back in the fall but lone star i love regular i'm like mm. okay Maybe I'll watch. I, I've watched episodes here and there of Lone Star, and I am a massive Rob Lowe fan, so you, I should be watching. Also, it. if you haven't watched Fire Country, you really need to watch Fire Country. Okay, I've heard good things. I just keep forgetting about it. It's good. Well, okay. the mid season airs tomorrow night, so at this point, wait till tomorrow, and then you'll have all eight, nine of them, whatever, to like binge. Okay, you will. You will really like it. Okay, you will really like it. I know you. You will really like it. Okay, I will. I will take that recommendation. Um, yeah. Really, thanks to Chicago Fire, I've really gotten into the whole firefighter thing. Yeah, get very excited. Yeah, well, I get very excited. A any TV show about firefighters. B anytime I see a fire truck, never annoyed by it. Anytime the firefighters are like in a restaurant, I walk. I get very excited. 
and yeah. I like want to talk and I'm like, this is so stupid. A TV show should not do this to me, but really like, yeah, I it ignited it, your love. For yeah. Fighting, no pun intended. Yeah. And then I think about it. I'm like, I can never do it. The physical, oh, no. the, the, the physical work of it. I can never do, but like, I want to know more. I want to know what life is like in a f- real firehouse, even yeah. though I know it's probably like, not like very that. dull. Yeah. Depending on guess where you live, but yeah. 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 I walked by the I walk by the one near my office that is like in this luxurious building and I just laugh about it because I'm like, it's just it's middle of the city fire trucks. Like they're going wherever. Yeah. Yeah. There's a squash court up, up upstairs from it, which always just makes me laugh. You've never seen that one in DC? Oh. Yeah, I yeah. Know what you're talking about. I do know what you're, I thought you were talking about by your place, and I was no. And like, in, in in my office, there is I got the one you. that yes. has like yes, yes, the yes, squash yes, court yes. ups, and it like you walk by and like the fire because of like it being on a busy road, they're like never outside the way like no. they would be at 51, and it even feels like it's very gated off. And the few times I've seen or walked by with firemen actually outside, they seem very unapproachable. <laughs> Yeah, I thought you were talking about one by your apartment building. I was like, I don't know. That. No, then, but I yes, don't you're... know where the nearest one is by my apartment building, actually. I know there are apartment buildings built in a old fire station near me. Yeah. Maybe an acting one. I don't remember. But yeah. I don't even know where my nearest one is. That's probably a helpful thing to learn. Around the block. When I was in, when I was in um, Crystal City, I used to live. The fire department was like behind my building. Um, oh, which Did it get loud? I mean, no, because I mean, you know where I used to. I mean, like that building yeah. is massive, and so like, it's and so, I lived yeah. on like the opposite side, so like it was technically behind the building, but like I lived on the other side, so like you don't hear, it. yeah. And no, I, in the city, everything is loud, so yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I don't now. That's a good challenge. I need to look up my nearest fire station. Field trip, yeah. <laughs> um. We got a little sidetracked, but we did. Anyway, I was just like I said, I always just like to hear whenever I have someone, you know, whenever we have someone back on, I kind of just like to take gauge of like where they're at with, um, you know, the shows, especially I feel like Rachel, you're not really that in like you, I feel like have an idea of maybe somewhat fandom thinks somewhat, but like you're not in it. So like, no, you have no idea about like anything. And it's really up to my Twitter algorithm as to what I know is going on. And like, sometimes my Twitter algorithm decides to tell me nothing. Right. The nights of the episodes. And sometimes it will tell you something. But yeah, Yeah. I have no idea what other, in fact, like, as I was reading the notes we're going to go through, I was shocked by some of the things. I was like, oh, that's a good point. Like, I didn't know people were saying that. Yeah. Yeah. So like that I always I I know a lot and I know the last time you were on a lot of people thought your perspective was really refreshing because you're not super in the fan you know like in the fan of things so they were like yeah like I really you know even though Rachel disagreed with what you had to say like I really appreciated her you know whatever like so I'm very glad you're here to discuss these with me I'm so. excited um so before we move into the episode, we do have one patron shout out. Natasha, welcome to the family. We are so glad you're here. I know you're already in the Facebook group. Um, if you guys want to join the family for just as too little as $2 a month, you can do so at the link in our bio. Um, lots of fun perks over there. 
Um, we will probably do something over hiatus with the patrons. I don't know what. Uh, we had trivia night last week, and that was so fun. Um, it was really fun. Really, really fun. So if you guys want to get in on the next one, you should go ahead and join the family. So, Was there any debate on correct actual answers to the trivia with patrons? So we actually did not come up with the questions. So some of our patrons got together and spent like a long time discussing. Like there was four rounds. Just like, you know, so there was the first round had 20, like, just kind of like, you know, one word, you know, like answers or whatever. And you put your answers in like a Google form. Like, I feel like it was very much Ooh. like something Rachel, you would have enjoyed because like you set up that way. Um, round two, no. Round two was like, um, more like you had teams like they put you into teams and like you had like longer answers um round three was one person from each team went to battle like you had like you picked a category and like you had a minute to answer as many questions in that category um I'm and, impressed. and then round four was like with different questions the same thing that round one was um so I'm impressed. That it was that's really fun. Excellent. It was really fun. Um, yeah, and some really hard, hard questions too. Like things I wouldn't, I barely even remember it happened on the show. I was like, wait, that was I did not remember. So, so not the kind of questions from when you talk to the cast on like one Chicago day and ask the simplest questions that they can't answer. I mean, the there were some that we definitely of- asked too, but there were some like. You know, when Kelly and Stella first met, like, which song, which uh, Frank Sinatra song did he sing as he, like, broke into, when he broke, when he, like, met and he broke into her house? Into her like, house? Right. Wow. Frank Sinatra song. And I'm, like, he was singing Frank Sinatra. I don't, like, obviously we didn't see that scene. So, like. I, it was a I, recall. Yeah, that's and a good I one. Even, I still can't remember the answer because I don't know that many Frank Sinatra songs. But, like. I'm like, what? Huh? Like, no way would I have ever known. I did not know the answer to it. Fun fact. But like, yeah. If anyone got that right, I am impressed. That is a that is a really great stellaride. But like, yeah, that is a really great stellaride. Fun fact. That's also just like a really great trivia question. Like if you're doing trivia question with a bunch of diehards, like that's great. Yeah, I'm I'm of the belief. I love trivia. And I love all of that, but sometimes I like just doing easy trivia to make myself feel good. <laughs> and the, the 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 like, just like I love the the People magazine. Actually, I used to love the Teen People magazine crossword puzzle. Yes, because it was like in my niche. I can do and I all, all the I, answers. I've done. I've completed a few of the People magazine ones, but like. I can't always complete a hundred percent of them, but I can right. come pretty close. But I will say it's like you said, like AT, like when we've gone to ATX, like the trivia nights, 
especially because I feel like sometimes I don't watch a bunch of like you know like the stuff on HBO or show like I don't watch a ton of that stuff and a lot yeah. of times it'll be like geared towards those shows and I'm like I don't know what the heck is going I'm like I don't know like it just makes me feel dumb sometimes and I feel like I still watch a lot of TV and I'm like uh no I can't go to this anymore like I yeah I had fun I went this year and I had fun simply because of the group of people I was with were right. a lot of fun like I didn't know most of the TV shows and this one was HBO themed yeah but like making up the questions and just making jokes and laughing about how little we knew like I had yeah. a good time but I'm yeah. with you I can't do theme trivia when I'm like I'm not gonna know not in it I have no idea I'm not in it whatever and I get very frustrated when I'm like not doing random trivia when I'm not doing well yeah like I just I'm 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 not I try not to be a competitive person but I'm a bit of a sore loser when it comes to trivia like I will zone out and be like I'm done I'm tired and I'm not allowed to look at my phone. So what am I supposed to do right now? I'm bored and we're not going to win. Yeah. 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 But when I'm doing well, I love trivia. Yeah. <laughs> if it's something I know, oh yeah, throw it at me. I got you. But like, if I don't know, I don't want to be there. Yeah. The other thing I love watching is like Teen Jeopardy because I can, I can ace that one too. <laughs> I don't Give think me I've like, ever watched Teen Jeopardy, but now I kind of want to. Yeah. Give me like all the like, kid level stuff or like are you smarter than a fifth grader got it yeah we're good yeah I got that yeah um I would love to do like one Chicago trivia or even wolf trivia with like random tv people like put the ATX (laughs) people in it who don't all watch it and I was like I'd love to like ace that but like show how much don't put me with the like hardcore fans I won't remember it my memory recall is already a problem with tv yeah so it was it was fun though Um, that's great but I am impressed yeah all right so I guess without further ado let us jump into these episodes shall we let's do it yeah let's do it all right so we're gonna obviously kick off with med and we are gonna kick off with the wedding of I want to say the century but I think the title will probably go to Stellar. One of the best weddings, one Chicago weddings we've ever had. I'll just say that. Um, and definitely, I think, I don't, Rachel, I'm curious what your thoughts. One of the best character exits we've ever had. Yes, I think, yes, it was strong. I agree with you on that. I think it was strong and it was like in line with what their characters would do and the yeah. path they had been taking. So I would agree. And yeah. I loved, I really, I mean, we'll get to the discussion, but yeah (laughs) yeah no for sure and like honestly like yeah I'm sad that Brian T is leaving but like this didn't really feel sad like it felt more of like a joyous celebration of like thank you for Ethan like you know for the eight years of Ethan Choi like it's so appreciated and like you know now go live your happy life you know like it didn't feel sad yeah and I really yeah and I really loved the way the others responded to it and like in last was it last not the last episode there was no last week um the reaction of um my gosh my name recall is bad here maggie (laughs) maggie yes um maggie's reaction to the wedding invite like yeah that was just like such an uplifting moment and then the way Goodwin responded this week yeah like that was just like 
it was the kind of thing that like as somebody who's very into like workplace dynamics that was like you want you want a manager like that who's very happy for you and like wants to do wants to do good things so um yeah it was a beautiful wedding yeah well the thing that I liked too like it didn't feel sad at all like I'm even thinking about like when Casey left last year like that's still I think that this one Ethan's exit and then Casey's exit I've been by far the most positive and most in character exits I think in all of the shows but like even with Casey's exits there was always a hint of sadness and like somberness to that episode because like oh man like Casey's gonna be gone for three years and like that was just really sad and I think it may have something to do with too that like we didn't know that that was Jesse Spencer really leaving the show until it actually happened. And then like, you know, a minute later, it was like, oh shit, this is really real. But like this one, we've had our chance to prepare for Brian leaving. And I think just like the fact that they honored, you know, Ethan as a character by bringing April Brack and really giving her closure as well as him. Like it was just like, I think really truly the happiest when Chicago exit I've ever seen. Yeah, and I think there's something to be said about Casey's leaving broke up a relationship that people felt passionate about, whether it was Mm -hmm. one way or the other. Um, And he was, like, a core, stable part of the show. Ethan has been in and out for the last couple years already. Um, And in Ethan's case, his exit actually brought back a beloved character for a few episodes. It makes me wonder, I'm way too young for this, but I remember watching like in reruns, if people felt similarly, I'm sure they weren't happy to see him leave, but like when George Clooney left ER, it's the same kind of ending there as you got Juliana Margulies' character back for a couple of, like, right. you saw her, it was a happily ever after. Sorry if that's a spoil for somebody watching <laughs> 20 30 years later um but it felt like a very similar kind of thing actually doctor nurse yeah she had recently left like it, it makes me wonder like I think it's that that joyous aspect whereas like Casey's going for good reason but it's partially because of a tragedy also like the whole setting of it right and setup of it but I agree I do think they're I feel a lot better knowing in advance that it's coming I think yeah. than being surprised I mean I, w- I clearly wasn't surprised because I was still catching up but I don't think that's a good feeling to know in that moment hey the person's not coming back like spoil that one for me please yeah no and your point about um like obviously Casey's exit broke up a beloved couple versus Ethan's exit brought back Yaya and then the, you know April like I didn't really even think about that but yeah and I just and even just the way like Ethan aside that they really honored April with this exit and through this whole you know couple episodes because when she left obviously that whole story felt weird and like the way that it ended and like her exit and it was like okay she's gone but like this is weird there's no real closure and like even in that last episode like she and Ethan had the moment but then she never comes back and it's like okay well this is weird like I just really like that they not only honored Brian and Ethan they really it really felt like they honored April and Yaya too um I just I really loved everything that they did here 
Yeah. And I think with those two characters, you've, you've seen over the last eight years, like huge character growth in them as people. Yeah, um, for sure. And so, I, I mean, not that I, Casey did too. So bad, like, not yeah, yeah, yeah. no, no, no. But like but talking like, about them specifically, because like them. Yeah, I never like like it. I mean, in the beginning, when they first got together, it was like, OK, this is hot. Like, I can get on board with this. But then there was just so much toxicity around this relationship in the middle of like you know them trying to get pregnant and then like you know when Ethan's sister came like there was just so much in the middle that did not work and they were not right but them really taking that time apart you know April leaving Ethan being gone losing his dad like you know them finding their way back to each other by just happenstance you know when you know at when he went to go visit his father's um burial site like it just that, like you said, they really had the chance to grow as people, and that's what made it now the right time for them to be a couple. And it's just, like I said, it just, it definitely, I'm much happier now watching this than I think I was if they had just gotten married like three years ago when they were in the middle of all that like toxic. Absolutely. Stuff. And I like, honestly, we've never been a big Ethan fan. Like, I thought his character was interesting. It's just, if we knew each other as real people, we would not click. Like <laughs> that, that is just the truth. Yeah. He would, he would, if I, if I were some, for some reason, a doctor in Chicago med, he would drive me crazy. Um, and I liked April. And so I was never super into that relationship, but like his growth and his storyline over the last few years has actually like compelled me a whole lot more than it had earlier on. Like he's yeah. become, become a little softer. He's grown as a person um to the extent that like when she came back I was happy for him as opposed to just being annoyed by him and I, I I'm I'm sad to see him leave like I actually yeah. like his character now if it were three or four years ago or for it me when I was watching it I would have been like oh glad he's gone but now I'm yeah. like he, he he was a good character they do though when you talked about April leaving with no closure Med feels like it has a has a trend of doing quite a bit of that with their characters of very like underwhelming exits yeah well, um, for a lot of them that exit you know that came at the end of the season where her contract was up and then she obviously right. just decided she didn't want to come back and like then obviously got her fox show and which didn't work out but like you know like i try to keep like what's happening outside in my mind as much as i can but like that doesn't mean that like you could just disregard what's happening on like there right. still should have been some more form of closure but I'm it just feels, glad we got it now though it feels like a lot of med departures are either like very quiet you barely notice they have them happening like a lot of the more recent characters or they are so extreme yeah. that you're like what did i just watch i.e connor rhodes and ava becker and like yeah i i need some i need some more like miles i'm just ready for like i mean med obviously this makes number three in nine episodes i nobody else can leave right now no 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 i nope 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 three wait how many in nine episodes you had dylan no i feel like there are more right keep going well i guess so you dylan vanessa and ethan and i guess if you want to throw away and I was talking more like main characters if you want to throw in like Sarah Rafferty obviously yep. she technically left the beginning so really it's four but and what mean, about the blonde I can't remember her name the one that was that had a thing with Will 
Oh, Stevie, that was last year. Oh, <laughs> it's no concept of time anymore. <laughs> yeah, that was last year when she left. And yes, if you really want to analyze like how many recently, then in like in the last couple seasons, then yeah, we got a lot. But like this year in within nine episodes, it's three main characters, four if you want to throw Sarah Rafferty in there. You know what I would love? Somebody should make a fake glass door for Gaffney Medical Center because their employee reviews must be oh terrible crazy like, oh lord yeah that would be hysterical like one of those like Instagram posts like you know Chicago Med on get like you know or even just like the uh like Google reviews for yep. like Gaff that would be hysterical I because they are because that's actually hysterical because I, I just like their employee experience and their patient experience. Uh, well, I mean, we'll get to that part of the show, but like what they say versus what that hospital is actually like are complete opposites. Yeah. And it, it actually makes me laugh a lot. Yeah. That's funny. I never thought about doing that. That's a creative. That's really funny. We're going to have to do that. That's really funny. Um. All right, so getting into actually like the Ethan and April of it all. So the episode starts and Ethan finds Goodwin on like her way out of shift. And he's basically like, listen, I'm putting in my two weeks notice. You know, me and April, we're going to go bring health care to the underserved, you know, communities and with a mobile clinic. And like, that's just such, if Ethan has to leave med and like April's not coming back to med either, like. That's what I want them to be doing. Like, that just fits both of them at this point in their lives so well. Like, I'm so happy for them. Yeah, and I think it's nice that they can work together in a way that they can actually complement one another. Yeah. They weren't They weren't always great in a hospital together. No. With no, all the other they people. Were not. No. Well, and even together, like, in the beginning or, like, in the middle, you know, when they were really toxic and it's like part of the reason they were so toxic is because they were having problems at home but then they would bring them to the hospital because they were always working together yeah so maybe we make sure they they get some counseling and some separation time yeah yeah and some learning because they're they're jumping into this pretty quickly and they're both more mature but like they're gonna be spending a lot of time together yeah but I do just love the idea of like them traveling around Chicago, like in this mobile clinic, like, because obviously mobile clinics, I, I feel like are starting to become, I don't want to know, know if popular is the right word, but more common. Um, so I just like picture them just like driving around, like, you know, bringing help to all the people who need it. Yeah. Maybe they sure. can get referred people through um brett's paramedicine program like yes. they can do some they can that do some collaboration yeah i didn't even think about that but yes i would love that that would be great um but so of course like while ethan is gonna be missed like sharon understands like he, she's thrilled for not only ethan but ethan and april together like it's all good there's no hard feelings whatsoever so but of course it can't be, we can't have a one Chicago wedding without something trying to like go wrong. So April ends up having to bring her dad into the ED for chest pains and like Ethan checks him out. Um, 
And so they step outside and April asks him about, you know, whether they should postpone the wedding, but they both agree to like, okay, well, let's hold off. Like, let's see what the EKG shows first. And then we can, you know, reevaluate if we need to. So the tests come back. The dad, he did not have a heart attack, but April wonders if it's like maybe stress induced. And she's like, you know, well, you know, weddings can be stressful, kind of like in a tongue-in-cheek, like playful way or whatever. And it seems like obviously at this point, she's more talking about herself than her dad. But she, you know, still agrees. She's like, I don't want to postpone the wedding. But like Ethan, like it, Ethan can tell that like she doesn't feel like she's like not telling the whole truth about everything. So her dad is getting discharged. Like as soon as he gets starts getting discharged, like he starts grabbing his chest again. So Ethan wants to get a CT and, you know, and can just rule out other stuff. Uh, But also a side note. So as he's getting discharged, like Noah is all of a sudden there at the hospital. Hadn't seen him obviously in a while, but he like makes this comment. He's like, oh, I've got to get back to work. But the last we heard of him, he was going back to Atlanta. So like, is he back in Chicago now? Like, what is he doing? He looked very, because this is obviously Dave's, to a day before the wedding so like he looks very nice in his suit so like i don't think he's a doctor anymore is the vibe i got that's the vibe i got because i at first was getting a little confused by timing and i was like are they going to a wedding already i was because like are how they he was going dressed? to like a rehearsal, rehearsal dinner but like if even yeah. april aren't going to a rehearsal dinner then they're not obviously having a rehearsal dinner so like i don't know and remind me, because this is where my recall is awful. What was his reason for leaving? He got Ethan fired him, remember? Okay. And so what was he going to do in Atlanta? I do we know or just go home? Try, well, not going home. Not I think. home. Their family is from Chicago. Yeah, yeah. But like, I think he was going to maybe try to like restart his career. Because like Ethan didn't like make such a big deal of it that it was going to like end his career. But like he basically like couldn't stay at bed anymore. Okay. Um, but like last we knew and heard of, he was in Atlanta. So like, but this makes it seem like he's not a doctor anymore and like back in Chicago. And yeah, and then some kind of corporate job. Yeah. With that outfit. Interesting. Yeah. But like, it was just nice to see him. Like, I'm really glad that they got Roland back for this last, you know, send off. Like, I know I was reading in one of the postmortems that they had tried to get um, Arden Cho, who played Ethan's sister, back for this as well. But scheduling didn't work out and it just she was unavailable. Um, but I really love that they were trying to have like the families, you know, make it really feel like a wedding and like do a proper yep. send off. Because like it would have felt weird. Um, I mean, obviously, it still felt a little weird that we didn't have Ethan's sister. But like it would have felt really weird given that um, Roland was once. I don't know if he was ever technically a main character, but like a major part of the show, like it would have felt weird if like his sister and Ethan were getting married and he wasn't there. I mean, obviously scheduling is scheduling. And if Roland couldn't have made it work, then like he couldn't have made it work. But like, I'm just glad it all that part of it worked out. Yeah. And I actually really liked it felt very and maybe part of it was just cut for time constraints. But like there was something elegant about him being there, but very subtly like yeah he didn't make a big deal about being president he was there as like there was no big greeting with other people because I mean most of the people when he was there are not in the hospital anymore <laughs> but like true. true it it felt very 
natural appropriate and natural as like he was there for his father he was there for his sister's wedding he was not there as an ex-doctor and it was really just the people who've been watching this whole time who would have known and recognized him I will say, though, the only thing I do agree, I think we got just the right amount of him. My only thing is that, like, kind of with what we're just talking about, like, he all of a sudden, he wasn't even there in the scene where his dad was brought in. He's just there in the scene where his dad's getting discharged. And then he's like, oh, yeah, I'm going back to work now. Okay, bye. And it was like, I would have liked him been there when his dad was brought in, at least just and like somebody like will be like, hey, Noah, good to see like. I think yeah. we just needed one time more because it felt like something was missing when all of a sudden he's just like, okay, bye. Like I'm here. And yeah. It's a continuity. It's a continuity. If like, right. Like I agree. I didn't need like a whole Noah storyline per se, but like just one little tidbit of like, Hey, yeah, I'm living back in Chicago now or like him coming in and running into one person that he knew as they're bringing his dad in, I think would have made it just flow a tiny bit better. Yeah, I'll, I I will, I will agree with that point that like right. at least, right. But yes, he, I we did not need a whole Noah storyline. True, true. I agree with that. I do agree with that. Um, so turns out April's dad has this condition called myocardial bridging. Basically, um, nothing too emergency. Like it's not an emergency. It does need to be addressed with a procedure, but it's not something that he has to have surgery for. Like tomorrow so he's not gonna miss the wedding woohoo we're great so april's like this is great i'm gonna go give my mom an update and so she leaves the room and then ethan goes after her when she goes out and we have this conversation hey april look i'm nervous too you are yeah here i am asking you to change your life leave your practice and i worry one day you'll say what have i done this whole thing is crazy i couldn't sleep last night i was just thinking like what if i don't know ethan realizes i'm not the person he thinks i am what if in a couple years he's sorry he married me no way i don't want to let you down i don't want to let you down either well maybe a good place to start (laughs) i think the thing that i love about where ethan and april are at now and the fact that they're now getting married is just like like we talked we're talking about earlier like they both clearly have matured like i don't think we have this kind of conversation of like ethan running after her and being like look i understand where you're at but this is where i'm at and i think if we both just kind of work together like we're gonna be okay like it's all gonna be fine like we don't have that conversation if this is like three years ago like they're not sitting there having that conversation as calmly as they are three years ago yeah and I really love like you hear the conversation of I don't want you to I don't want you to be upset with me but you don't often hear the both of them thinking the same thing about each other which just felt very sweet yeah and like clear that like this is the right time for them that this right. this isn't they are more mature they're not rushing into anything like they both have the same fears which means they both can work through them together and they're communicating about them that was the big yeah. thing too back in you know when they were first together was like april had all these thoughts about like you know her getting pregnant or whatever but then she'd be like i'm so afraid to tell ethan and like i'm afraid he's gonna be mad at me and it's like that's we were so in that space they just were never communicating and it's like 
growth. This is like actual growth. Like this scene right here is like the definition of growth. Yes, totally. Um, and then we go to the wedding and I just, everything about this whole scene was just amazing. Yeah. I mean, Yaya looks stunning. Like that dress on her is just, it was so good. So yeah. good. Um, Great wedding. And I don't know if you had seen this. I know we talked about it in one of our episodes that like she actually got to go dress shopping and like help pick out the dress she wore. You know, I think she went with Diane, who's one of the co-showrunners um, and like actually got to help like pick out April's wedding dress. And I just think that's so cool. I love that. That makes me so happy. And apparently I didn't know this and I don't remember where I think Gina's the one that told me this, but the girl who was standing behind her that wasn't Maggie or Doris was apparently Yaya's real life sister, which I just thought was so really cool. sweet. That they That's like, very cool. Yeah. Um, and like, so Yaya looks stunning and even just like so happy. Like, I just like the first time I watched this, I was just like a ball of tears. Like, I, I love this. Yeah, it was it was beautiful. And it's nice to have something celebratory. Yeah. In the Chicago mad world. They don't get it very often. No. And like them walking out, like, again, just they look so happy. They go get in like the mobile clinic as their like getaway car. Um, That made me laugh so hard. At first I was like, they getting in an ambulance. And I was like, wait, I <laughs> know this. So I should know this. Yeah. And like April throws the bouquet and like Hannah catches it. And at first I was like, is this some sort of random foreshadowing but apparently that wasn't scripted apparently that was just like I think it was the director or someone who was on set like it was like hey yeah yeah you should throw it to um Hannah like you know it wasn't like a scripted moment so I it's not foreshadowing but it was still really funny okay I feel like I would love to see and hear about like what it's like to film these wedding scenes across all of them like Especially for casts who generally don't get to wear fun clothes. Like, no, you they wear it like, all like of, a uniform all the time, pretty yeah, much. Yeah, it must, it must, at least for people who enjoy dressing up, whatever. Like, I know there are, myself included, would be like, ugh, don't want to sit in that hair and makeup chair for as long as I need to. But like, it must be so fun to see each other, like, dressed up, have a reason. Like, yeah, characters are in a, like, there's not some dire emergency hopefully going on like it, it must be a fun and for med they get outside of the hospital at least right. for a little bit right um, get to go to a fancy church um yeah it's very fun yeah it was it was nice to see something fun on med um I do wish it was like a little we got to see like a little bit more of it like it felt like by the end I was like no I wanted more of the wedding but like I mean otherwise like I loved what we got I just wish we had gotten more agreed agreed Um, but yeah and they're off April and Ethan are off and riding into driving into the sunset in their clinic and that's it for now yeah I know they've said that, like, I was reading a bunch of these postmortems that, like, obviously they don't know, but, like, they would love to try to have them back at some point, maybe this season. Because um, obviously they're going to be in Chicago, so, like, theoretically, it would make sense they could just, like, bring a patient over to the ED one episode and be like, 
oh yeah, you know, we're still like, it's not like, oh man, we're like moving to Atlanta and like, we're never just going to be around. Like they, it would make sense for them to like pop back in every now and then. Totally. And Brian's going to be directing. Right. That's what I was thinking was it felt like their exit was in a way that like left the door open right and it would make right like they're in chicago the characters are in chicago it's not like they wouldn't just be around if we needed them to pop in every now and then absolutely so i loved it like you said one probably if not my favorite like definitely my top two i don't know which is my like technically favorite but like cast or character exit for sure agreed if he has to leave this is the way i want him to leave Agreed. Um, we did get one listener thought on this. Roseanne said, I wish the wedding scene was longer. It also, it almost seemed like an afterthought. The storyline with April's dad was pointless and should have been swapped for more wedding scenes. I mean, I don't think the storyline was like totally pointless. I think maybe they could have done the still gotten the Ethan and April or April having like somewhat of cold feet across differently. Um I do think, though, I think the reason it probably seemed more like an afterthought is there's just always, with Ned, a lot going on. And sometimes certain storylines can feel just kind of swept under the rug a little bit because there's always so much going on on Med. It's like, people I know sometimes tell us that, like, we talk, we spend so much time talking about Med, but it's just like, Med fits, like, seven storylines into, like, one episode. So there's just so much more to talk about on Med than there sometimes are on, like, PD, for example, where if, like, we don't care about the case, well, like, we're not going to spend as much time recapping the case as we do with Med, but. That's absolutely true. And I also find that, like, with Med, if there's any storyline I like, I'm always, like, it was too, like, I wanted more of that. Yeah. Like, like, Med was, like, the most... F storyline at that point. Yeah. Right. And it's, like, no storyline gets the full attention unless it's a big, a big, big Hoopla. episode. Right, right. But, like, I feel that, yeah, I feel that way frequently about Med. I'm, like, bring me back to that. I would watch a whole episode of that. But, like, of course, they're not going to. Right. Yeah. But like you said, I do, and I do wish the wedding scene was longer. I think I'd read somewhere that like, apparently there was like definitely more stuff they had like filmed and then just obviously got left on the cutting room floor. But again, like to use all of that stuff, you basically have to cut off like one whole storyline. Yep. And like, I think they were still able to like put a nice bow on the Ethan and April thing and not make it feel like completely gypped, at least for me. Like I still like said, I loved how they ended this. So yeah, I do feel like her dad's thing was a little weird and off, like maybe a heart attack. Maybe I don't know. Like, right, like I it'd be different. Point. I think if they had had like something happen to April or like April having the stress induced symptoms or something like that, you know, like, right. you know, because she's feeling so overwhelmed and, you know, you know yeah like her dad it didn't really get any like yeah like I said I think they could have done the April having cold feet thing a little differently but like I was glad that we finally got to at least see like April's parents like that part was nice right and also it brought April into the hospital like right she had made sense why they did the way it was it just the, the resolution didn't quite feel as much of a like aha you saw something masterful the way like right some other ones do yeah yeah so elsewhere in the hospital we have dr charles and it seems like dr charles is like 
in love or at least like has hard eyes and I'm not completely mad about it. So I, I can't stop laughing at him. So like, in he general. goes to this like bar lounge place or whatever. That's where his storyline starts. And he basically falls in love with the singer who's there like singing from her voice. But like what I wasn't expecting because he's again, he's at like a bar lounge type place. She's like basically singing opera. Yeah. Or, I mean, not opera because I don't, it wasn't in Italian. But it was but, like, like classical. It was classical. Right. Music. It was like, like not what you would expect to be playing at like a lounge bar type place. Yeah. It was a little odd. And actually, like when you talk about, I wish certain scenes were longer. One of the things I actually noted as I was watching was I was like, why is this song? Like normally you wouldn't get that many seconds of someone singing in that way like what is the point of this and why why is this being given so much airtime i guess eventually like we figured out why but right yeah but again it was bizarre and i mean it was beautiful she does have an amazing voice but like it was like a little i was like this is a little weird for men i was like it was out of place for men that's exactly it and i think in the beginning too i don't think so Dr. so basically like Dr. Charles like kind of falls in love with her from like just a voice. He's like so enamored with her. He basically is like in one of those, like, oh my God, I have to go meet this girl. Like that's like basically where we're at. So he goes up to her like afterwards and like introduces himself. But it turns out they've met already because her name is Liliana and she's the one who cleans his office. She works at Med as on the janitorial staff. Which like I don't know how I like it honestly kind of feels like some weirder version of like one of these like romance novels that you and I both read like that's kind of what it this whole thing feels like it does but it feels something about it to me feels awkward and I don't quite I don't know if it's I don't know what it is and I don't know if it's like my own prejudice I don't know if it's me just being like Dr. Charles is old, like, ew, weird, but, like, I don't feel that way, I don't, I don't, I think I feel uncomfortable with, like, what goes into, like, she's been cleaning his office and he doesn't notice her, is what makes me feel probably the most uncomfortable. Yeah, well, I think at first, what I, like, at first, I was, like, it doesn't feel like Dr. Charles to, like, just immediately go after something, but then I was, like, you know what, like, thinking back about, like, how he, like, Refell in love with his wife, whose name is escaping me, Robin's mom, who passed away. Um, like he does kind of wear his heart on his sleeve sometimes. And so, like, and then the more I thought about it, I was like, no, okay, like that part does kind of make sense. I think what kind of is throwing me is like, like you said, the way that they're handling it so far with like he feels weird because she cleans his office and like he's like almost like a shame like he's like oh man I am really into this girl and like I want to ask her out but like I'm so ashamed of it which again is like the plot of all the romance novels we read but like I don't know something about it in this circumstance just makes it feel weird you know what though now that you say it I think I'm giving like I think there's something good about his journey in this episode because when you think about when he first tells Goodwin about her, am I jumping? Am I okay to jump ahead? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Okay. When he first tells Goodwin about her, he doesn't, he says, 
she works at med and then specifically says i don't know when goodwin asks her where she works right he's like embarrassed he's embarrassed and so and so i don't think i noticed it while i was watching but by the end then he tells goodwin and he tells her and he questions himself and then he like he definitely has character growth himself and like just growth in his thoughts throughout that episode of like first he's embarrassed then he's not and i think that'll be an interesting thing to explore if if they continue it. I think they're still I think they are because even at the end which we'll you know get there too but like I think by the end like he like tells Goodwin he's like oh yeah I want to ask her out but then like as he's talking to Goodwin he's like no 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 I'm not gonna ask her out like he bags the idea and then he still goes and tells her anyway and asks her out but I, he's so embarrassed like throughout this whole thing like he's really into Liliana for whatever reason beyond her voice or intrigued, I should say. He's intrigued by her and wants to get to know her. But, like, he's so embarrassed. So it'll be really curious to see that, like, as their relationship develops, which I assume it's going to, will he be open about it and be willing to, like, be out with her, especially around, like, his med colleagues? Or is he going to, like, keep it to the best and, like, not tell anyone? Yeah, but I think... You know, it, it could be a discussion of, like, what part is he embarrassed about? Is he embarrassed that she cleans his office? Or is he embarrassed that he didn't know she cleans his office and that there is that power dynamic he talks about? And is I it think appro- it's like, probably part of both. It's it's definitely both. But I think it will be interesting to watch him explore that and figure out how to work through that. Yeah. Um, Because I don't think he's, like, I think he's internally had some debates and he knows he was being a little prejudiced. But... I think it could be good for him. And I think it could also be good for, I, I think it should be, it'll be interesting for Bud to explore the, the fact that there are other people in the hospital who are forgotten about. Right. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so going back. So after this, um, he meets Leon or whatever. So basically Dr. Archer or Dr. Charles is working with Archer for like a hot second, but then mainly Kai and they're working on this patient, Mr. Michaels, who took a spill down the stairs and is like complaining of this pain in his ankle. And basically he's very confused because he keeps asking like, who's going to rake the leaves. He's very upset about it. Even though his daughter already told him that like she would. And she mentions that it's his second fall in a week. And so like, clearly something else is going on. And the daughter pulls Archer aside and is like, yeah, this is how similar to how my mom died and her mom had had Alzheimer's. So like, anyway, so we already talked about real quick about Dr. Charles and Goodwin's like BFF chat, which like, I just love that we get these like BFF chats. Like every time they sit and they are, they have their coffee or whatever. And they're like having their little gossip session. I'm just like, really, truly, if I think about like my top, like bro TPs, like Goodwin and Charles, like just across television in general, like Goodwin and Charles are up there at the top for me. And I feel like very underrated just in general. They are. And they're so good for each other. Like. Yeah. They're good for each other as friends who challenge one another and who both are in like pretty isolating positions within the hospital. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like right now at this point, they don't have anyone else. I mean, they have their other, you know, like Goodwin has Maggie, whatever, but like their relationship, like they are the people they lean on because they don't really right. have anyone else. Well, and like, if you think about it, like we're good, <laughs> we're good with like I, all of these people yeah. basically report to her. So she doesn't really get mm-hmm peers at least as far as we can see and like yes tactically dr charles would fall into that bucket but like 
it's he's different. A pretty, he, he's a pretty non-problematic. Like he's late later yes. in his career. He's not, he's not pulling a Will Halstead and doing ridiculous things. I like, would say though, although that would be so out of character for Dr. Charles, I would love to see, they've never done something like this. Like see something happen, like a slip up with Dr. Charles and like see him kind of go through like, oh shit, what did I just do? Like, yeah. We've, and how that challenges that friendship. Like, right. I don't need him to go to the, like, Will Halstead extremes, but we've never seen, like, now that you mention it, we've never really seen, like, a Dr. Charles, like, slip up. And I guess yeah. that becomes from, like, once you're, like, 30 years into your career, you're less likely to probably slip up, but it still would be really interesting. Yeah. Well, and I think some of it is also, he's most, like, he's the psychiatrist in the ED, and right. so he's not getting like hands on all the time. He's not getting a ton of like, you're not going into the psych ward with him to see the slip ups right. that are probably happening there. Right. And um, again, but that would be interesting, but this is a centered yeah. hospital show. So yeah. Oh, it's totally be interesting. But I do, I, I like, I agree with you. I think they're underrated and they are probably one of my um, favorite parts of med is watching For sure. them. For sure. Um, so Archer calls in Charles, Dr. Charles to consult because so Dr. Charles basically thinks that, like, it's possible that the patient is still grieving his wife's death, that it's not all just from the Alzheimer's. So he goes to talk to him, you know, and they talk about, like, his wife and how they met because they met when they were kids and, you know, you know, they were together basically their whole lives. And, you know, so then Dr. Charles just, like, casually brings up in conversation, which he's just so damn good at this. Like, he's like, oh, yeah, you know, my daughter's, like, always tested me about my memory. You know, this morning she had me repeat these words, you know, whatever. So he basically has him, like, repeat these words back in order, and the patient really struggles with it. He can't get the words right in order. And the daughter is so convinced that it's Alzheimer's, but Dr. Charles is like, no, like, I'm not ready to make the diagnosis yet. So she, he basically is going to like send them on their way with just like, follow up with your internist. You might want to see a, you know, neurologist that specializes in this, but like, basically there's nothing else I'm going to do for you right now. So they're literally about to like wheel him out of the hospital and he starts having a seizure. So they do a head CT to rule anything out and basically then end up doing a spinal tap because the head CT comes back normal. And basically the results come back and he's got autoimmune encephalitis. And it's basically a medical mystery, hasn't been solved yet, but totally treatable. So he's going to be okay. So good on that front. And then, yeah, we already kind of talked about this too, but basically Dr. Charles runs in a good one again. He comes clean about Liliana and who she is and he wants to ask her out, but then he kind of convinces himself He's like, no, 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 I'm not going to do that. But he still does anyway. And basically, Liliana and Dr. Charles are going to go on a coffee date. I like to see Dr. Charles be a little more impulsive. Like, that was what I took. I took less. I think I took less embarrassment there in that moment with Goodwin and more second guessing whether he could do it, whether it was A, appropriate, and B, like, it was a bad idea and, like, he wanted more time to think it through. So then to see him be impulsive like that and then to see her respond in such a way of like let's go now and I'm like great less time for him to second guess himself um I liked that it made me happy yeah I mean I still take it more as embarrassed I mean I do like to see him do you know go after what he wants and I like to see 
him have I mean I feel like a lot of times these days because we haven't seen Anna in 20 million years like I feel like a lot of what we're seeing for him is like solely in the ED so like to have him have something outside of the ED is really nice um but I am curious to see like how far with this they go like is this if is Liliana someone we're gonna just see around for like a long time is this just like a two or three episode arc and it's gonna end badly like I'm curious to see where we go with this in the next you know once we come back in January it's true and it'll be interesting to see how that uh, like if she does stick around for a little bit it'll Mm -hmm. be interesting to see how if they in general bring out more of the background of I mean they can't they have such a huge cast that they really can't but like for the most part it's a large hospital but our view of it is purely the doctors and nurses in the ed we barely get anybody else we get crockett and surgery that's like literally the only surgery. outside we get oh i guess we get goodwin in administration but like but a lot of times goodwin too is like, in, like the in the ED. ed right and so it's interesting to see if like this is the beginning of them maybe bringing us some more hospital characters that we might be maybe. not seeing or hearing that would be nice to like see slightly other yeah I don't need like focus it on like a whole different wing for like 10 episodes but like you know but maybe we get an episode getting to hear the meet all the cleaning staff at the hospital right and their psychological problems with Dr. Charles this is a this is like a comedy spinoff actually I think yeah that would be hysterical oh my god um, I, I can't imagine who they would complain about. actually I I have ideas of who the cleaning staff would complain about most oh yeah um, yeah, they're, they're probably not very happy. They will, they, I would guess her friends at work are probably not going to be happy when they hear she's dating a doctor. Yeah. yeah. But I am curious to see where they go with this. Yeah. I, I think it'll be really interesting, but something I'm not as thrilled with, I was trying to make that seg- segue here. I was trying. Um, so we're going to talk Crockett dating will this or 2.0 thing whatever we want to talk about or 2.0 really reminds me and gina i hadn't really pointed out until gina pointed it out to me it really reminds me of how they like have the or set up on Grey's anatomy or like how they i haven't watched Grey's anatomy in a long time but like they have like the or and then with like the wing where people can come in and watch have they not done that before at mad mm-hmm I hadn't even occurred to me because so many doctor shows do it. But like that to me, in my mind, that's such a Grey's Anatomy thing because they used to have everyone like, you know, sit in and watch all the surgeries and whatever. Like that was such, that's such a Grey's Anatomy thing in my mind that like literally as I was watching it and especially once Dayton brings in the people to watch the case, I was like, that's literally all I could think about. I was just waiting for like the old days of like, and like Dr. Weber to just like walk it. Like I was waiting for it so hard. I wonder if, because I was thinking, like, it didn't, Grey's didn't occur to me because I haven't watched Grey's in years, and I watch The Resident now, and they are frequently in the okay. observa- observation, like, uh-huh. portion or there. Whatever you want to call it, yeah. So it now feels very, but I wonder if Grey's was, was the, first. the first to make it, like, popular, or if we're just too young to remember, like, previous Doctor shows where they Maybe. I don't know. Uh, yeah. I don't know. But like they definitely that's why it didn't even occur to me because I watch enough doctor shows and I watch some of them like casually that like and I'm 
as I've said, my recall is not great here. And so like, I didn't know, like, I didn't notice that, that this was new for Mad, but yes. it would make sense. Yes. They've only ever otherwise shown like the scrubbing rooms. Interesting. And yes, then like, if true. you're in like where they have like do MRIs and stuff, we see them, you know, in the on the other side of the room whatever you want to call it yeah we've seen people like in those angles watching but we've never never from like an observation where chairs and you know meant for people to truly sit and watch the surgeries and you're right it very much is a grace thing that it's like a theater it's just in my pop culture mind that's just what i associate it with and then i'm sure like you said that it's on other doctors and whatever but like in my mind as a 27 year old like i associate it with grace Right. Well, and also Grey's is about surgeons, which is different than other shows. Like, it is a surgery show. True. Um, But so, yeah. So, Crockett and Dayton introduce this OR 2.0. And Dayton's just like, you know, med has always been on the cutting edge of medical care. And it has the surgeons to put OR 2.0 to good use. And I just, the whole time I was thinking, and I talked about this in last episode, but I just want to know how the hell did they build this thing so fast? Because like if you went two weeks, I'm using like two, three weeks ago, whatever, like there was no talk of even OR 2.0. And like it seems like Dayton's been working on this technology maybe for a while now, but like I still don't understand. Does his company like specialize in like medical technology? Cause like that's different than like producing, say, like computer chips or whatever. Well, the, didn't they just build a train? Wasn't that his right? Last and then thing? they built a train. So like how do you go from building a train to building like this medical tech? Like I just I don't I have so many questions logistically about how this all works. Totally agree. And the other thing that got to me was like in his argument later, he talks about like, well, I know the tech and whatever. And I'm sitting there thinking and I'm like, your CEO and maybe you knew the tech before you were CEO, but I guarantee you if you're the CEO now, you're probably not deep in the tech. And it, even if you were, you were just talking about a train. So unless this was like some side project where you were deep in the tech of an O, like it's right. not it, it possible doesn't make that he a knows ton of sense. But like, I think he does know somewhat of it because even the first time when they brought him in to do whatever with like the hand I think it was the hand like a couple of weeks ago like after the train like the first time they bring him back when he created that extra thing that right. they didn't they didn't have enough of oh it was like the heart pump the heart thing. machine the the yes. ECMO what did they make a yeah something yes 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 yes, yes. but so when that happened <laughs> Like, he was kind of involved in that, like, process of whatever. But, like, even then, like you said, okay, so maybe he is doing the medical. Maybe they do do medical stuff. But, like, they've never mentioned until, like, last week or, you know, last episode, like, anything about OR 2.0. So, like, again, I ask, like, how long have they been building it? And, like, it's not like they could just, like, build that out in med, even if you said... Dayton had already finished the technology. It's not like they could build that out in bed like that fast. No. I mean, do we like like you don't just renovate an OR that fast? That's not how Yeah, this well, part of me wonders if was there perhaps a longer gap than we th- no, because Ethan wants to get married right away. So it was fast. Right. So, like I, it's yeah, not it's like not. it's been that long. I'm not gonna say there wasn't like a week thrown in there, but it's not like we like are six months like in the future. The other thing that's getting to me about this is what I was trying to get at. 
Chicago Med has always been on the cutting edge of medical care. This is the quote. Also quoted in many Chicago Med episodes is how it's a high-end hospital and all of these things. And you compare it with, I said, I watched The Resident, and The Resident is actually a public hospital in low-end. If I looked at those two hospitals and the doctors and the things that have happened in them. They still look the same. Oh, no, I would much rather go to the hospital at the resident. Than really? Yeah, like, uh, people have blown up at this hospital. Oh, people yeah. have got, I mean, yes, that has happened there. Same thing with Seattle Grace that's happened there. But, like, at none of those other hospitals are the doctors making as crazy decisions as the ones that are here. Like, yeah. maybe it's just I don't want Will Halstead as my doctor. I, I love mean, Will dearly, true. but, like, maybe I just want to be far away from him. But also, like, a doctor killed, like, back to the Connor Ava situation, like, you read that story, are you like, I ever want to go to a hospital where that happened? Like, yeah. I don't know. Well, and the thing that is really interesting about this, too, like, when you think about it, like, right, Crockett is the only surgeon. Like, Will is not a surgeon. Well, actually, Archer is a, Archer can do surgery, too. But, like, we really, I doubt we're really going to see Archer use OR 2.0. Like, this is really meant for Crockett. So it's just funny when he's like, and it has the surgeons to put OR 2.0 to good use. And by surgeons, you mean Crockett. Like, you're not well, talking about anyone Sam. else. Sam can come back and do surgery. Oh, true. Abrams. Brain surgery. But, like, this whole thing, like, it's just, like, funny that he's like, and it has the surgeons. But, like, yeah, are we ever going to see anyone else use it? It's really meant. It's like Crockett's. It's I find Crockett. the scope of med to confuse me a lot. Like. It's the ER, but, like, there are clearly other surgeons there. And then Crockett is a trans, is a, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Transplant. A, um, transplant surgeon, but he's also the ER surgeon and, like, a trauma surgeon and, like, yeah. I can't it fit. never makes any sense. I was going to say, I feel like I, I oftentimes have to put the logistics of the hospital organization oh, yeah. out of my mind with the show because it doesn't make sense. Oh, yeah. No, but it does not make sense. You are correct. You are correct. So Will starts working. He gets his patient in the ED and he gets brought in for a head laceration with a science project gone wrong. So... Of course, though, the patient also has this, he has pancreatic cancer and basically his tumor has been ruled inoperable. So he's just basically living until he, till he dies. So Will gets this idea to go to Crockett and ask him about using OR 2.0 for the inoperable tumor. And of course, Dayton is listening in and Dayton's like, yeah, this is a great idea. And Crockett's like, no, no. And, but Will's like, listen, like, if we wait any longer, like, he's going to die anyway. Um, So he's like, basically, it's damned if you do, damned if you don't, you know, kind of situation. So Crockett goes to the patient and his wife, and we get this conversation. Now, I have to emphasize, this is an experimental high-risk surgery. This is the first time the platform is being used on a patient. If this doesn't go well, which is likely... Richard will be robbed of whatever time he has left. That's true, Richard. You'd be taking a big risk. And if I don't? But what, what do I have to look forward to? I get weaker and weaker, more pain, debilitation, until I'm confined to a bed with a morphine drip. No. 
I, I don't want that. I don't want to put Vicky through that. It is not about me, Richard. Dr. Marcel, all my life, I have been a science geek. And here you are offering me the chance to be a part of something groundbreaking that, that science has made possible. It's like being given the chance to be the first person on the moon. And, and even if the worst happens to me, hopefully you'll learn something from it. That's, that's how science works, isn't it? on this consent form. You're a courageous man, Richard. Yeah. I'm gonna be asleep. You're the courageous one. Yeah, that picture of your wife? Yeah. Sarah. We were in Maine. Oh, beautiful woman. I actually loved this just like outlook on things. Like the whole quote about like, you know, him being like, obviously he's a science geek, but like the part to like be part of something groundbreaking. And like, even if he dies, like for him, you know, like you're going to be able to learn something from it. And like, that's how science works. And then you know, Croc is like, well, you're actually, you know, you're like, you're really brave. And he's like, I'm just going to lay there. He's like, you're actually the brave one, Croc. Like, I just, I don't know, like that perspective I thought was like really cool and unique for the show. Yeah, I think it's also like, I agree. It's, it, I loved that line as well. I thought it was a nice perspective. And it's also somebody who clearly has already um, worked with, grappled with the fact that he Right. was was what he got to life. lose by going like he yeah he may die today but he also may die tomorrow if he doesn't get the surgery like you right know. yeah right so basically crockett goes in he starts scrubbing in whatever and he was not prepared for a full house for his operation and he is kind of pissed so he like gestures and asks to like speak to dayton in the hall and he just kind of blows up at dayton hey going on who are all those people and why are they here some are doctors some tax some media i invited them why for the launch of course 2.0 no 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 that surgery's hard enough without having a bunch of looky loose now get rid of me crockett relax they're friends all right they're rooting for us that's sakes jack do you understand this is not a simulation there's a human being on that table we know and you're gonna save his life and what if i don't what if he dies I'm not worried about that. Well, you should be. I am. I know the tech. I've been working on it for years. I promise you, it won't let you down. You know tech, but you don't know surgery. Send them away. No, I'm not going to do that. Jack Rocket, this is not who you are. You're the man who, who ran into that tunnel, who saved my life, who saved Nathaniel's. Come on. Have a little faith in yourself. Because this is where you really start to see Dayton is all just like business, 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 like 
and yeah, medicine's cool, but like business. And Crockett's like, no, like my job, yeah, I'm like willing to help you test out all this stuff. But like, he says, he's like, this is not a simulation. Like there is a human being. Like my job is still a doctor first and foremost. So, but so he still goes through the surgery with the audience and it seems to be going well, but like he gets to the reconstruction part and like the AI technology starts giving him bad advice. And Crockett, though, is Crockett, and he remains calm and cool and collected, and he's very convinced. He's like, no, I'm going to do it the way that I know how. So the other doctor, this Dr. Dupre, um, she overrides it, and basically they're able to go on with the surgery. But Crockett's not happy with how that whole thing ended up. But so they do a press conference after their surgery. It's they were able to remove the tumor entirely, and he sh- the guy should be able to like make a full recovery, which is like kind of incredible when you think about it. That it went from like completely inoperable to like now the guy's gonna be fine. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, yep. But so Crockett pulls Doctor Dupre aside after you know press conference or whatever, and he asks her about like what went wrong. And she's like, it was my bad. Like, I programmed 2.0 for a surgeon who was less risky. Um, but obviously, she admires, I think, the fact that Crockett does, you know, take risks in surgery. But, like, not two crazy ones. But, like, risks that, like, and he's confident in his ability. And he knows what he can and cannot do. Um, but she's like, no, no, no. We're never going to have that problem again. Like, it'll be fine. And then kind of jump and that's kind of where we leave that. And it's like, okay, whatever. And then basically after the wedding, Peter, the lawyer guy who we all, I can never remember his name half the time, but Peter, he comes up to Goodwin and which I don't know why Peter was also at the wedding, but like he was there, he was there. And apparently Dayton has bought controlling interest in med. So now he's in charge. So it's interesting to me because I was thinking in the beginning of the episode, like I've been having trouble getting a read on Dayton. Like, and I think mm-hmm. I think Goodwin kind of says it too. Like everything feels a little too good to be true with them. Yeah. And like as the episode went on, you kind of saw like, okay, there is a part that's too good to be true. He's a little pushy. He's a little less in touch with like the human life component of it. Yeah. And like this was kind of that that final nail in that coffin of like okay he is not entirely good-hearted here there is something like there is something he has been working towards and I will be interested to see how that plays out because he's not this like evil character who has bought the hospital which you see in some cases but do you think it was always his plan to try to buy controlling interest in med or like that his conversation with Crockett is what pushed him to buy that. Like, I don't think if you had told me, I do agree that I think he's maybe not exactly what he seemed, you know, four episodes ago or whatever, as good of a person. But like, I, and I don't think he's necessarily evil, but like, I don't think that was always his goal either. No, I don't think it was so always then, like, his goal. What made but I him think... all of a sudden push him to like go buy med. And like, well, how did he the... buy med so fast? That's kind of what I want to know is like for the last few episodes, I've been like questioning what's his intentions, what's his intentions. Yeah. And I think like the whole time it's felt like there's something in the tone that makes me feel like his intentions aren't all good. His intentions aren't all good. And so now like he's bought med and we've already heard earlier like his intentions aren't all good so right 
what comes next. And I hope they don't just transit. Like, I kind of like that he is this complex figure that isn't all good, all bad. Right. Anyway, he's not this, like, fairy godmother, but he's also not, ha- doesn't have, I don't think he thinks he's he's coming from bad intentions. And so right. I hope he's they keep that complexity. He's not evil and trying to, like, change everything Ned's doing and, like, right. go completely automated, you know, no surgeons, like, or whatever. Like, he's not trying to go full crazy, but, like, you know. Yeah. And I think med, is, med sometimes is at its best when it's dealing with the, like, the real gray areas and not just the will you're being completely crazy that's not gray anymore but the when will comes up with something that is legitimately gray and makes you think of like yeah that's not quite fair like I think if they can keep him in that that bucket of like I don't I mean it's almost the archer bucket of like you don't quite know where he's coming from but like just when you think he's like bad he's great like yeah there's something compelling about not being able to quite know and get that full read on like I totally trust this character I don't yeah so I guess we will obviously find out what happens you know I'm sure this is going to be like a major storyline through the next you know the whole rest of the season but um, I'm hoping for some will Dayton conflict I feel like that could get good yeah I feel like Dayton's gonna do one thing will doesn't like and will would be the one to just like blow up at the whole thing yep yeah, I mean, that just screams Will Halstead. Right yep. Um, so the last thing we have up is so this, like, they're all kind of, there's not much for each one, but they're all kind of linked together. Is this, like, Maggie, Ben, but also Archer, Hannah stuff. They're all kind of thrown in together. So Grant, our good old buddy Grant, gets brought into the ED, and Hannah and Archer are the ones that work on him. So the aneurysm that he had from back when he got in the car crash is now ruptured. So basically they rush him up to surgery. So Hannah and Archer are like scrubbing in for Grant surgery, like getting all ready. And like Archer's like, Hannah, go ahead and start. Like, I got to go to the bathroom. And Hannah's like, are you okay? Like you literally just went and he's like, yeah, 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 I'm fine. And I'm like, okay, this is a little weird, but like I'm rolling with it. So elsewhere, Ben shows up because they're, Maggie was going to throw this like party for Ethan in the doctor's lounge or whatever. So Ben shows up with the cupcakes for this party and is like, hey, where's Maggie? And Kai, our BFF Kai, ends up accidentally spilling the tea about Maggie's accident, which, of course, he didn't really know what he was doing. I saw a lot of people being like, fucking Kai, like. You know, and I mean, granted, Kai is still not my favorite person, but like he didn't, in Kai's defense, he did not know that, I don't even, first of all, I don't even know if he really knew who Ben was, but second of all, like, even if he did, I doubt he thought that Maggie would have kept that from him, like that he was, you know, was doing anything wrong, but Ben is pissed. Ben is pissed that we get this conversation. Auto accident. Ben. You never told me you were an accident. I wasn't hurt. That's not the point. You never told me you were an accident. I didn't want to upset you. Upset me? Just... Who are you with? Who's the guy in surgery? Was it Grant? Is that why you didn't want to tell me? Was it? No. He was just showing me his car. Showing you his car. I go out of town. He's showing you his car. I know how it looks. Are you having an affair? No. Never. 
am I supposed to believe you? Ben, wait. Ben. This whole storyline just really sucks. Like, just yeah. keeping it real. Like, I am so on team Ben. Like, Maggie did the wrong thing by keeping this whole thing from him. Totally. Like, yes, it was a sucky situation that she didn't want to tell him about. But, like, for her own health, you don't not disclose to your spouse that you got in a car accident. But even before that, like, Ben's whole thing this whole time, like, even going back to, like, realizing or, you know, getting back in contact with Grant, like, once Vanessa was released in the picture, like, Ben's whole thing is, like, why didn't you just tell me? Like, yeah, if you had just told me, like, I wouldn't have cared, really, like, I, you know, but, like, you lied to me, you kept it from me, like you know that's really why he's hurt is not the actually grant being back in her life it's that like she's like sneaking around and doing all this stuff behind his back agreed but so ben is pissed uh but grant's surgery goes well and like maggie can't even be happy about though because like maggie tells goodwin that like ben wants time apart which like again like i don't i love maggie but like I, I I can see why Ben wants time apart. Like, I you know, I don't want them to end a divorce or anything like that. Like, I hope they're able to work it out. But, like, I'm kind of on team Ben in this situation. As sad as that is to say. Yep. Um, but then again, like I said, there's not, like, a ton of either one. So, basically, this, the Archer stuff ends because Archer finds Hannah in the doctor's lounge. And she asks him if he's seen a nephrologist. And, like... He is. He admits to her that like he has some kind like some kind of necrosis from basically when he took too many NSAIDs um back when he got kicked in the kidney that whole time. Basically, he's on a renal diet, and if that doesn't work, he's gonna have to go through dialysis. Um, and he's like confident it's gonna resolve, but he's like, hey, like keep it to yourself. Like, I don't want anyone else knowing right now. Which I feel like by him saying that, like, I don't think she's gonna go on purpose and tell someone, but I have a feeling by them making that comment that like it's gonna slip up somehow. Yeah, I struggle with this storyline because I feel like they could have done more, like, from the whole last few episodes. I was going to ask you, like, just in general, I know, obviously, you said you liked kind of seeing the change. You know, I, again, this is talking from someone who used to hate Archer and is now, like, an Archer stan. Um, I didn't know you were. I, I guess I, I didn't I realize become, you were full on like, Archer stan. I did, like, yes, I've become, I really like Archer now. Like, I really turned around on Archer. Um, I really found myself, like, really rooting for him this season and I really just enjoyed he's my like one thing that he and Hannah just eat separately but also I really like their friendship like I really that's been my thing for med this year that I've like latched on to so I I don't know if I would go so far as to say I'm an archer stan he's still similar similar to Ethan and I think for similar reasons like we would not get along in real life and even more so I think I might appreciate Ethan as my doctor I think I would be Archer's just too blunt and not kind that I I couldn't handle him as my doctor either even if he was the best thing ever um but I agree I've really enjoyed his growth and especially his growth with Hannah and how his experience with her has questioned some of his own like judgments about her and her situation i don't i know some people may be shipping them i don't i was, ship I them. was just that was my next question for you was do you 
would you want them to go there? Are you like more a Hannah and Will person? Like, or do you really care about any of it? Like, I mean, I like Hannah and Will enough, but I don't, I'm not like hoping for them to get together, but I don't see Archer. Like, I like Archer and Hannah as a friendship and as colleagues, because I think they both bring something to one another and like challenge one another in good ways but like Mm -hmm. uh, no I (laughs) I I will to me it is a like cringe moment to think of them trying to like I I I mean maybe I could be wrong I mean you asked me last year and I despised Archer so maybe like four or five weeks from now I could be like actually I'm really shipping them I don't know yeah but like at the point we're at now no I enjoy the friendship I enjoy that he confides in her medically although I have to say this is another thing I have to like just let pass why does he keep asking the OBGYN for help with his patients like there are plenty of other things she could be doing like it doesn't make sense it goes back to like they each have their specialties but like even like when Natalie was on you know back around but like Natalie was a pediatric doctor or like true or even um Dylan like they were pediatrics but like and yes we saw them with a lot of kids but like then they'd also randomly be helping like you know this 90 year old woman or whatever and you're like uh, I don't think that's that's true I didn't even think about it that way in real hospitals like you don't really see like you know my dad was an orthopedic surgeon for 30 something years like he didn't just then when he was at the hospital like see someone for a stomach problem like that's not how that goes and also especially like they've made with natalie and uh scott it was kind of said in passing that they were pediatricians it wasn't ever like a thing with hannah like they announced she's coming back to be the ob in the er like she has a very specific role just as like dr rhodes was the trauma surgeon dedicated to the er he took a cardiothoracic fellowship but yes yes so like that's the part that's weird to me that he then asks her to do random procedures for it's not even just like seeing a patient because they're short on staff it's literally like sitting in for him with surgery like right it's bizarre it is it is but going back to the whole just like archer hannah thing in general i listen I like them as a friendship. I really do. And if they keep it just as like being friends, like I, I'm totally happy with this. I've said this before and I'm going to say it again. I wouldn't hate it. The idea, I don't hate the idea of it if they were to go down that route of them like being a ship. Like I don't hate that idea. But yeah, I also like definitely like one of the tropes that I like in just my ships in general is like that kind of like age gap type thing like I really like that so I think that's part of why I'd be more into this interesting so I I am the opposite but the other thing that gets to me is Hannah has always felt very young to me and it's not because her character is that young or the actress is that young it's because a her face is like she she looks very young she could be like yeah but also, I remember watching her in Veronica Mars. And then she felt like like she she was like a freshman or a sophomore. And she looked very like naive and young. And she has not 
not that she hasn't aged. She's definitely aged. She looks more mature, right. but she, she looks still like looks... someone who's actually her age. But she also but looks she like she looks be... yeah. exactly like herself still. So when I see her, I still see this very naive freshman yeah. sophomore that Logan Eccles was using. Like, and so it makes it even more pronounced that like. And then yeah. the other roles I've seen Archer's the actor who plays Archer in also is still gray haired, right. and so I'm like something feels wrong but again I'm not convinced I would hate it despise it you're just not there I'm just not there and it feels too early for me like I said I'm not saying they're even going down that route I'm just saying if they do go down that route I don't think I would hate it yeah it just feels too recently to me that he was like being a total jerk to her Fair, fair. But I do think since then, though, they've found definitely way more common ground. And I think, obviously, they, they've they really developed this friendship fast because now he's the one that, like, I mean, he's picked her as the person that, like, she he's confiding in about, like, this major medical stuff. And I think the reason I'm also, I don't think I'm convinced that they're 100% going to go there. I just feel like as much, like, when she came back, And even as recently as, like, the shower scene when they had to go through the contamination, like, it felt like for a long, like, when she first came back, it was all, like, Hannah Will, Hannah Will, Hannah Will, Hannah Will. But, like, we really haven't, they've kind of, I don't think they've abandoned that idea completely, but, like, it feels like we're very much not on that right now. And I don't see them going back to Hannah Will anytime soon. Or like yeah, and I don't focus. mind I'm that. Not gonna, yeah, like I, I've, I mean, I'm kind of enjoying the Archer and Hannah. I'm really enjoying the Archer and Hannah stuff. So, I kind of feel like Will needs to grow up on his own for a little bit. Like he's gone Listen, through a lot. Season eight has not. It's been a good. I mean, I, I can't believe I'm saying this, and Gina's not here. But like, season eight has been Will's best season so far. He's not done too much. He's like because like he's a, not been badly behaved. You mean as badly yes, because behaved. he's not okay. badly behaved. Yeah, yes. I I just feel like yeah. he just lost his whole fortune. True, and True. he 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 doesn't need he needs to start over. He's like yeah. he needs to continue working on starting over. Yeah, I did like I did like the contaminate like that that storyline was actually fascinating to me. Um. Although I had a lot of medical questions and drug questions that I was like researching about it. But um, I like, I think, and I, part of me wonders if Archer is drawn and confiding in Hannah because his injury makes him feel vulnerable and less than, and he sees her not less than, but in that vulnerable, like, she has her own vulnerabilities with her yeah, drug addiction. For sure. And so he feels like she's also an imperfect person and won't judge me, like is less for likely sure. to judge me than if I were to go to someone like Will Halstead, who was just look at <laughs> probably would look for any reason to. Right. And I think at them. this point too, like the person he probably would have gone to before Hannah was Ethan. And now Ethan. Ethan's gone. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. I think that's I part am, of it too. I think the archer Dayton conflict coming up will actually be an interesting one to watch Mm -hmm. because I think they both are on very opposite when you talked about like Archer wouldn't use OR 2.0 I would go so far as to say Archer looked disgusted 
BioR 2.0, 2. yes. especially because he spent so long, like multiple episodes in the past few months, like few months talking about like not needing high tech stuff, like right. learning the old school way. And I actually think that conflict will be interesting to watch because none of them is completely cur- like neither of them right. have the perfect viewpoint. And right. so it'll make for some interesting like a compromises, but be growth from both characters potentially. Agree, because like, yeah, high tech is great, but there's some you can't do everything with just technology and just like the totally. old school ways work. But like, there, you know, modern medicine has advanced so much, and like, if you just stick with the old school ways, and you're not, you know, adapting to all the modern medicine that we have, you know, that we have now. Correct, and so. Archer has proven that like having knowledge of the less technical ways can be helpful in certain situations when you find yourself with a shortage or a loss of something Mm -hmm. and you need that those skills like you can't just have doctors out there who's only ever used computers and robots to help them yeah so I think it'll be good I I 100% agree um but yeah so that's med I think med was maybe my favorite and maybe the most exciting mid-season finale of the night Um, oh I disagree totally disagree okay um but i'm assuming you're gonna say fire yes all right so we're gonna start with fire next up is fire Um, fire and i also found pd pretty exciting this week i'll say that interesting i i was not as in i we'll we'll get there we'll see well yeah we'll get get there so stellaride i'm curious obviously i know stellaride is your favorite they are but what about they like in terms of like the prima of this whole storyline this season like how have you been enjoying have you been enjoying that part or like are you like yeah i'm eh. i like clearly you guys are hearing i like complex situations um and i like the complexity of several grappling with this in that like especially when you look at as much as I, mm-hmm. I am also tired of fire cop. I thought yes. the last episode was interesting in the he could help Prima situation, but then you saw the why like he couldn't help himself to help Prima. Prima hates it. Like I think that relationship is a interesting, complex one, um, and realistic. And I thought the dilemma that was presented to them at the end of the last episode was was an interesting one. Mm-hmm. That said. I don't really care like to me what was uh, like the whole thing like the exciting part of the storyline was last year and like I could have done with it being wrapped up quicker yeah like I to me honestly I I agree I this whole thing I'm like I mean I'm over I just feel like we've gotten so much fire crop that like it's when it used to we would get it like two or three times a season it was exciting because it was like okay like we get but this has literally been like the whole season we've basically had separatist fire cop and i'm just like i never thought i would say this but i'm so over it but like and to me the whole exciting the thing that i've liked most about this storyline though is really just seeing how much when they you know when Stella almost died you know at back in the cabin in the woods or whatever like seeing how much that affected Severide now that like she's his wife and like that meet you know like they were obviously already in a committed relationship but like now they're legally married and like that that means something else and something more and like how much this whole thing has him shook because of Stella and because yeah. of Stella's 
part in his life. Not because of him and the what they did to him, but because of what they did to Stella and what this means to keep Stella safe. Like that's really been the whole, the most interesting part of this whole thing for me. Um, so like, I like seeing him spooked, but he won't, he's spooked because it has to do with Stella and keeping, you know, about Stella. And that's, that's a been good the part I like about all of this. That's a good reflection because I think I did too, but I couldn't. I, I couldn't verbalize that, yeah. but I think I agree. Like if Severide had been in the same situation, but without Stella there, it would have right. been a less interesting story. And it would have, right. he probably would have immediately like gotten more into the mystery of it and less into the like adamantly, like, I don't want to release this guy. This guy is evil. Like all of that. And I think the reason though, it contributes to sell it. It, it, it contributes to Severide's growth because Obviously, the Severide that we know of, like, olden days, like, back when he was a bachelor before Stella and him were together, like, this, that Severide wouldn't have been like this. Like, Severide is, like, a married man now who's clearly been changed and, like, is in a very much different spot in his life. Like, I think it just, it just, it's another proof of, like, how much Severide has grown and that, like, again, just Stella being the first and really only thing on his mind through this whole thing. Like, I just, that's been the part that I really enjoyed about this whole thing. I agree. I do agree. I I enjoy the dynamic and his emotions throughout it. I find the actual, like, story of the case right. and the mystery is not that dull. great. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So speaking of the actual story, so the episode kicks off, like Severide's not able to sleep and he's decided he's going to get a jump on the day. Um, So Stella comes out of their bedroom and he like won't admit it to Stella, but like he's clearly got the Prima situation on the brain and like he is firm on this position, Stella. He is not going to let this Kavanaugh guy walk. He's like, nope, nope, we're not doing this. So we'll talk about the Carver stuff a little bit later but so kelly gets pissed like during that meeting that he has with carver and stella and bowden and basically walks out and stella follows him and she thinks that a little bit has to do with the carver stuff but like mostly she thinks it has to do with the prima thing and hey can you hold up a minute what's up i don't know you tell me what's going on with you what do you mean you were pretty fired up in there You've been on edge for days. I, look, I know the whole Prima thing going through you. The Prima thing is over. I'm done thinking about it. Are you? Doesn't seem like it. It feels to me like it's still weighing on you. And I know that I said there are no easy answers there. I'm not sure that's really true. I mean, if someone is in trouble, you don't sit and ask what happened and why. You get in there and you do whatever you got to do to help them, right? That's what you did on the bridge. That's just who you are. But on a call, I have some control over the situation. With Prima and Kavanaugh, I got none. I'm totally at their mercy. So talk to Prima then. And maybe it's time you took control of this thing. It's really interesting point here that I really hadn't thought about. Like when he says he's like, you know, again, it kind of goes back to his growth, like, He's, like, on a call, like, because she's, like, you know, like, it's not that different than, like, you know, what, you know, you go through every day. Like, when someone's in trouble, like, you just, you don't overanalyze it. You just act. 
but Severed's like, but on a call, like, I have the control. And, like, with the Prima stuff, like, he doesn't. And obviously, Severide, as Lute, like, he likes to be in charge and has the control. Um, and that's what Stella encourages him to do. She encourages him to take control of the whole thing. And that, that, that scene, and just that part about, like, when I talk about, like, keep that there, like, there's good tension, there's good conversation. Like, it's such a fun relationship to watch yeah because their conflicts feel real but then they they are so good for like especially when I watch older episodes and I remember when I first started and I I'd heard of Celeride before but I didn't know anything else right. I was like how does how does that become the couple that everyone ships um and, and then you see like... them both and now I'm like it, it's really fun to watch and now with both of them as lieutenants like yeah. That's also really fun for me to see how they handle that situation and like how they help each other in their careers. I love them. Yeah. You know that, but I love them. Yeah. Celeride is your absolute fave. Yes. So Prima shows up to the firehouse and Severide's like, I want to talk to Kavanaugh like face to face. And like Prima at first is like so against that idea. But Severide, of course, is able to convince him. And but Prima's like, listen, like. I'm telling you, this better not be some revenge fantasy, you know, that, like, you're looking to play. Um, so, Severide does get to go talk to Kavanaugh, and we end up with this. Did you know what Campbell was planning on doing with the information you slipped him? On my wedding night. Not exactly. <laughs> Did I think he was looking to take you out for a drink? No, of course not. To be honest with you, I didn't give a rat's ass what he did with the information. As long as he paid me. I'm not saying that's right. I'm not saying I feel good about it. He almost killed my wife. I know. What can I say? I betrayed my oath as a cop. I dishonored myself, my family. For a little bit of pocket change, what it was in the end. And I gotta live with that for the rest of my life, so whatever you came here to say, ain't gonna be any worse than that, pal. Nice speech. Now I get how you almost convinced Primo. What the hell did you even come here for? To see if you're really the linchpin to the Martucci investigation. But I ain't buying it. Come on, man. You're gonna, you're gonna send a cop to prison. I mean, you know what that means. I do. That's why I think you'd say anything to avoid it. Prima! Hey, get me out of here. I'm done with this guy. This was a mistake. And Martucci knows you're gonna bug his cell. Planning a decoy operation. There you go. Make your deal now. I will say though, if through all of like Severide's fire cop things, like the one thing that he's learned is like how to like, I don't know if manipulate the situation is the right phrase I want to use, but like kind of you he reads people really well and then is able to use that to like get out what he wants. So like I did not see the fact that he was like twisting Kavanaugh 
around himself. Like I really thought I thought this was gonna end with like not that great, but then he ends up like just twisting it just right to still get the information out of him and like still feeling like he had control of the whole like it just it worked really that part I thought was like fun's not the right word, but like I thought that worked really well. It makes you wonder if during that car ride he took with Jay when they when they went to but no, maybe that was an old episode. I was watching an old episode. I was going to say that did not things. happen. It was during the crossover that I just rewatched. Okay. He took Jay because yes. Jay was yes. off. But it makes you think they clearly have some kind of friendship out there. If Jay's been coaching him a little bit in the investigative work and the the probably not, but I bet Severide walked in there and is like, "I'm gonna, I'm going, I'm going to." Um, what's wow words um i am going to nail this guy yeah i'm gonna nail this guy i'm gonna pretend i'm void in this moment (laughs) yeah 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 and i'm sure obviously his like um experience with um the you know doing all the arson stuff and the that you know like i i'm sure that helps too but like yeah that is true separate just separate things yeah Um, it's it's again i try not to think about logistically and feasibly how like Severide has both sets of scales, but yeah. It's just Severide things. Yeah. Just Severide things. So 81 and 61 get called out to this like huge situation. I mean, it literally looks like an all-out war at this point. And for like a barricaded suspect. And it turns out it's Martucci. So Stella immediately calls Severide and Severide's like, listen, we're a few minutes out, but like we're on our way. So Martucci is in this building, apartment, whatever, abandoned, whatever it is. And he starts shooting. And it, like I said, it literally turns into like an all-out war. It's like they're shooting from inside, but, he, you know, everyone's shooting from outside. And like 81 is trying to like duck. And 81 and 61 are like ducking behind the fire truck to stay safe. Like it's like literally an all-out war. Can I ask a question? Yes. Why did they call a fire truck to this situation? That's a great question. I guess if something were to have, like, if they were to then, like, set off something inside, you know, like. I get, okay, so it's for, like. like, And I guess, you know, like, Ambo makes sense, but then what doesn't make sense. So, SWAT moves in, basically, so SWAT moves in with Prima, and the grenade starts to go off, but, like, it never does. So, once they're, like, kind of have somewhat controlled the scene again, like, they call in for a medic. But, like, and apparently the grenade is lodged into Prima's leg. So, like, they can't, moving him is not an option. But, like, what I don't understand is, so you called for medics when you called to have, like, 81 and 61 come out here. But, like, why do Stella, or not Sylvie and uh, Violet not go in? Yeah. Like, they're the medics. I was confused by that. I was also confused by, like, maybe put 81 and 61 on call a couple blocks away. But, like, they shouldn't be out of their truck in the line of fire in that way. Like, the whole thing, I was like, I I don't get this. Yeah, and I'm sure there is some kind of, you know, like, protocol or whatever. But, like, I just can't imagine that protocol is get out of your truck and use your truck as a shield. As opposed to, like, be a couple blocks away waiting for the word of, like, hey, we need you now. Yeah. But like I said, what didn't make sense to me is like, they're like, we need, you know, we need medics. And then it's like Stella and Carver go in. And I'm like, for what? 
I guess my thought kind of was there was they need medics in case somebody gets hurt, but this is a situation beyond like, like the medics could go in, but it's more of a dangerous type of situation. You would see a fire, the fire, the, uh, right. The firefighters are trained enough for what needs to be done. And they're the ones willing to go I guess, in. But like, and again, I'm reading way too much in this. It's just something that really As bothered me. But like, so you couldn't have just sent like Brett and Stella in? Like someone to handle the like more dangerous part of it or whatever. And then someone to do the actual medicine part of it. Well, I think the thought was whoever goes in is super, it's super dangerous for anybody. Right. And, and I, I, like, I understand the point of like Stella and Carver. Like, I get it. Like, it's a story right. choice more than anything, but it was just something when they're like, we need it, you know, we need medics. And then it's like, okay, we're going to send in Stella and Carver. It's like, yeah. Okay. I, I, I saw that too. And I was like, this is a weird choice, but okay. You're, you're trying to get to a point. Yeah. So they get suited up and all the gear and they're going into this building and as soon like as soon as Separate and Squad 3 roll up on the scene, like they're going into the building. And Prima tell you know, he can't move really. He's like tells them to leave, but of course they don't listen. And like Severide, we get worried, Severide. He's like so worried. And like he tries to go in himself, but Bowden gets pissed and like stops him. He's like, You are not going in there. No way. No, no, no. So, basically, the bomb squad starts, like, disabling the uh, grenade, the bomb, like, out, you know, out of uh, his leg. And, basically, they pull the last piece out, and he goes to take one step, and it seems to detonate. Now, I've read a lot of people on, like, Twitter were, like, and I don't know anything. I didn't get a chance to, like, Google how that works. But, like, a lot of people on Twitter were, like, yeah, if you were to take, like, that's not going to set it off. (laughs) <laughs> no i don't know if that's true or not i didn't i've not read up i don't know enough about grenades to know how this works but apparently i people were saying that's not very realistic i mean did you watch the bomb episode of Grey's anatomy that's basically what happened there i mean true very true i mean if it's that's you know, tv magic i guess yeah but i i don't i i mean it, it my face was covered ready for something awful to happen that whole time yeah um so and it's terrible though because like so like the way stella immediately moves the table and then like jumps on carver and prima like i was just like this she's such a badass like this is like oh, badass yeah. leadership shit but also i'm like but worried severite outside but like I-, I was just like kind of like stella you know now being in like a leader like i, I just loved seeing that in action the scene when Bowden like stops Severide, I'm sitting there thinking, I'm like, as much as I love Stella Ride, this is why you don't have two married people, both as lieutenants in one house. Like this this yeah. is a problem and Bowden shouldn't have to deal with this. And I'm just sitting there like they really shouldn't be married. Not they really shouldn't be married, but like married and work together. Married and work together, married into dangerous jobs. Like, yeah, their children need some godparent when they have children one day. They need godparents who have the most boring jobs ever, just in case. But I, I will say that the only thing so, this is the cliffhanger. Obviously, this is where we're left is like, what happened to Carver and Stella and Prima? Are they okay? Are they all alive? Like, how many times? Like, 
with fire especially i feel like we get this cliffhanger a lot in like for like mid seasons especially and like eh. like we all know they're gonna survive like they're gonna be fine I didn't know they were going to be fine. You were the one who had to tell me they're going to be fine. They're going to be fine. And, like, they're, like, basically talking about, like, in these, like, post-mortems, they're, like, I mean, they're not saying what happens, obviously, specifically, but they're, like, yeah, like, you know, you know, this is going to happen, and, like, we're going to be dealing with a lot of the aftermath of this, like, you know, after, and I'm just, like, okay, so, like, obviously, that means they're not, you know, so here's here's the thing i like about fire is and it it hasn't always happened this way we know with shay with otis whatever but we've had a lot of these cliffhangers yes and i really enjoy the rhythm of fire that very often these cliffhangers are resolved within five minutes of the next episode and you are not stuck with the and other shows an entire like a trailer that's like are they dead or are they alive they're on right they're on a ventilator you're waiting to find out you spend the entire episode in like anxious mode i know within five minutes of the next fire episode it will very likely be resolved and we'll be on to the next situation and like the trailers for fire are often only are often for a call that lasts five minutes total right um and I kind of, I kind of like that rhythm. Like I'm kind of okay with those kind of cliffhangers, but only when it means nobody dies. That's fair. And I, yeah, I mean, I'd rather have this cliffhanger than even though Stella and Carver's lives are in jeopardy as of right now. Like I'd rather have this kind of cliffhanger because I'm ninety nine point nine percent sure that you know they're gonna be fine and that it's all gonna work out and we're gonna be fine. You know when this episode picks up in January. But like I think for me. It just kind of felt very lackluster, I guess, given because this whole season to me personally has not been my favorite and like felt like something was missing that like this kind of being just like an ending that we've seen before and being that it felt very formulaic for fire just wasn't what I was looking for. If that makes I get sense. that. I get that. I don't think it was its strongest midseason finale by no. any means. Um, I did enjoy the little bit of like adrenaline that came from that situation. Like I thought it was more interesting than recent calls have been and some of the recent ones. Um, but I'm with you. I'm with you on the being tired of that, that, um, cadence. I do like. This is the first one since they've been married where like Severide can't be there with her. Right. And Stella's in a dangerous situation. And also like he has to grapple with she is now the lieutenant. And so she is going to take the risks that right. he, he probably could have justified. Like, why did you do that? That he can't do now. Right. And so I do think that challenge for their relationship, it will make some interesting TV when it comes back yeah no those are all good points like i said i think just for me it was just kind of like okay this feels like something we've done before but i mean i'm sure. willing to see how it plays out in the end you know once we come back but it just wasn't for me personally what i was looking for as yeah i just think the two characters they put in there and we'll get to carver i think will make yeah. for 
more interesting. The more interesting storyline than if it were like Gallo and Herman in there or like right, true something true. like that. Like I thought, true. I thought they picked two that even though I'm I'm, I'm hopefully Martucci Kavanaugh is done done. Like I I need all of that done. The outcome of a situation like that with those two characters can make for some interesting. Yeah, in the new year. Yeah. So we did have one listener thought. So Natasha said, I really like the resolution they had before everything came to a head. Kelly and Prima, Kelly and Stella. And I really like that moment between Stella and Prima. Like, I feel like there was a beat of get out of here because I'm not nearly, I'm not nearly getting you killed twice. Didn't they say there was a situation coming up where Brett and Severide would be working heavily together or something like that? Could this be, could it be this, an injured kid? I'm choosing to operate from a positive place of Stella not being killed off. For three reasons. Um, one, I'm not even going to imagine my favorite character being killed off. Two, because I hate the misogyny that gets heaped on Kid on the internet. So I refuse to think about the joy that some people would have at her death. And three, my stepsister's coming to Christmas this year. And that would all horror and the drama I can take this holiday season. <laughs> That's funny. That's um, great. But yes, so they did tease in an interview a little while back, or it was like one of those TV line, you know, things with all the questions that I think Brett and Severide are supposed to be working together, but I think it's going to be a case. Like, I think it's going to be like a call that they, you know, something happens on that then they are working on, you know, together after or whatever. I don't think it, I, I doubt it would be Stella. I don't think we're going to go with an injured. I think something's going to happen and maybe it's going to shake her. I don't know if we'll get maybe an injury. But I definitely could see something happening like shaking her. And because like Harper was the only one that was with her in there that like, you know, she's the one he. He's the one that she leans on maybe a little bit more because, you know, they went through that together or something like I could see that. But like, I don't think she's going to get like really injured. Okay, you just brought up actually a fear I have that I've been thinking about. I'm hoping that the Stella Carver dynamic, like they're forming a friendship. Yeah. Easter. You don't want it to turn into something more. I I have this real fear that they're going to try and turn it into like Carver trying to break them up. You don't think so? Okay, no. As long as you say that, I, I just like every time, like, I think it's just because... Miranda is just such a like magnetic personality mm-hmm. that like when she's at the bar and also like when she's at Molly's she's dressed differently than in her uniform that like the way she talks to him and the way she leans over the bar like the body language feels a little more like flirting even though it's not what she's saying or doing it is just her presence and that mm-hmm. that started giving me fears yeah no I I I don't I, okay. I I don't think they're gonna do anything like that. I mean, okay. I guess you can never say never, but like I would say I'm like 99.9% confident in the fact that they wouldn't do that. Okay, then I will I will allow you to relieve my anxieties in this case as well because yeah, that kept every time they talk to each other I'm like no, 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 no. So I'm going to yeah. take that out of my head. Yeah. No, I would. I, yeah. No. Um, but yeah, so that's Stellaride. So moving into, I think, what was your other favorite part of this episode? The cruise family. The cruise family. And it's funny because Cruz was like never one of my favorite characters, but 
with between his wife with Chloe and now Javi and baby Otis like he is slowly becoming like one of my favorites yeah he's just so good this episode really just had me thinking about like again character growth and like how far Cruz has come from like his early days of like when he was a total bachelor and then now he's like a dad married to married you know husband two kids um I just was like well dang like this is truly the definition of like look how far we've come and I loved the dynamic with him and like every time Chloe comes back she's great but the dynamic, like, especially if you take, like, he's this macho firefighter who puts himself in these crazy life, dangerous situations. And here he's anxious that, like, something is going to go wrong mm-hmm. with his son. And it's his wife who's calming him down. And it's just so sweet seeing that, that, like, dynamic. Yeah. No, Chloe, I I mean, I understand that, um. Kristen is like super busy but like I wish she was around more like I would love for I love them I I love them they have such great spouses on the show right they have such great yeah it makes me appreciate like the fact that we don't get to see like her all the time or Cindy or Donna or whatever like when we get to see them I'm just like I love them I just cherish it so much more so much totally agree um so the actual storyline. So Cruz is freaking out because, of course, obviously they found out that adopt Javi's adoption went through, but like they haven't gotten the court date yet for it to be like actually finalized. And he's like, something's going to go wrong. And I was like, I swear to God, if we don't actually get Javi adopted and something does go wrong, I will not be happy. I was like, I need this to actually just go through and be official already. Agreed. Um, but Chloe tries to calm him down. She's like, well, maybe you should put this energy into the adoption party. Like, yeah, you, it's going to be fine. She's like, just very, she's like, it's going to be okay. So they're on shift. Cruz gets a call. The adoption date is actually set for super fast. It's the next shift. So he's just so excited that it's actually happening and that it's actually, you know, Javi is going to be his son. That's so cute. It's so cute. Like his so, excitement makes me, yes. I mean, I'm teary now thinking yes. about so, it. So my favorite scene though of the whole thing, I think was Cruz takes Javi suit shopping. And like, I love how like, there's like a little bit of like Cruz family history about like the baseball and whatever, but like Javi already knows a lot about it. Cause he can like rattle off. He's like, oh yeah, that's so-and-so. Right. And Cruz is just like, yeah, you know, like he can like, like Javi already knows, even though he's not a technically officially a Cruz, like it's just it's so cute it's very cute and so then javi pulls out because obviously they gotta get a new suit so javi pulls out this like wild suit i mean no pun intended like it's got the lapels are like a cheetah whatever pattern uh-huh. and Cruz is like yeah why don't you try something else but like once he sees the look on javi's face and that javi really wants that suit i mean Cruz is just like whatever javi wants he can have Yes, it, I, it, it was such a good moment to watch him as a parent realize, like, that's not what I would choose. And, like, here right. I, I was logically sitting there thinking, like, why don't we get a tie with that pattern and just go for a play? But, like, yeah, Cruz made the right decision, and I was also being judgmental at, like, practical. And I'm glad that for a situation like this, Javi gets yeah. what Javi wants. Yeah. 
So we actually get the adoption ceremony. And I just loved how, like, obviously, of course, all of 51 was going to be there. But, like, how then the judge recognizes that, like, you know, family is more than mom and dad. And she even says, she's like, it's cliche, but I do sincerely believe it takes a village. And it, like, obviously looks like Javi has the village. And it was just, like, I was like, I'm not crying. You're crying. Oh, I was, I was. But and yeah. I'm just thinking about it. I'm here crying right now. Like, oh, such a good moment. Yeah. What I love too, how like after obviously Javi's officially now Cruz, like the first person that goes up to him is Bowden and Bowden calls him like Mr. Cruz. Like something about that just tiny moment. I was just like in tears even more. So. I love that the whole everyone was there. Everyone was there and like they all have different relationships with him already, even mm-hmm. though he's only been around for a short period of time. Yeah. And like they have different relationships with Cla- like that's what I love about this show is like everyone has their own relation. I mean, even going back to a few weeks ago, like Cindy and Trudy are like buddies on the side. Yeah. Like they've truly formed this community and now even their kids. And I would hope to see like I think there are all yeah they already have had some kids playing together like the next generation of 51 like I need it I need I need it I need more of it yeah like who gets to be like is Bowden's son how old is he at this point Terrence is like seven okay so he's not old enough to babysit one day for Otis and Javi but he's old enough to be Javi's friend yes Yes. Okay. And then Herman, but maybe one of Herman's kids can babysit for all of them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Let's have now another side comedy. Of... Yeah. No, I fully want, like, the, if we're going to keep this going, like, you, you know, Dick Wolf wants to run with this franchise for, you know, however long. Like, I need Chicago Fire the next generation. Well, here's what, unfortunately, we don't have any Jewish characters because I would have really loved to see a child's bar mitzvah. With all the kids there <laughs> dancing, and that's the hysterical. Because that would be a excellent bar mitzvah party. We need a Jewish character. We can. I'm waiting. Someone Jewish. We could. I feel like I feel like Herman could be Jewish. No, he we have. It's already been clear he's Catholic. They go to church. Like oh, true. But like yeah. I'm just saying, uh, Herman feels like. I want. I think I want someone new. Because I don't feel like I would buy at this point after 10 but years that it just to have came bar out. Mitz- yeah, bar about mitzvah, then like. That's true. Maybe someone with kids. Like, you well, can't have like Gala be Jewish because that doesn't maybe, work. Maybe, 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 like, this is going to take three or four years, but maybe somebody meets someone who already has a child who is Jewish. Or, or, or you have, like, a Cruise-like character come in, or, like, even an Atwater, where, like, it's, like, something happened, and, like, they are now responsible for, like, their younger brother and sister. That that right? could work, too. Yeah. Right? Okay. There are options. I just need a bar mitzvah party. <laughs> but also, I've, I've told you before, I would love a Jewish character, just as yeah. someone who's Jewish, like, that would be a nice add here. But I'll, 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 I'll. I would like a bar mitzvah. Or I mean, no, we could go. No, 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 no. This is how you get it. You have it happen. Something go wrong at the bar mitzvah. You have a call happen at the bar mitzvah. That's how you get to the bar mitzvah party. No, but I want the kids there. Like I want to see oh, a you little Herman like, dancing hobby with the hobby. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And then even if they get old enough, like 
maybe maybe we get to a point nobody has Herman has a little girl but I think she's a little too old for Otis I don't know yeah, I would like Annabelle's to see a like te- 10 oh, okay I would like to see a teenage relationship between some of them as parents because that would also be a funny oh yeah firehouse drama of like I heard your son did this um but so no I wanted their kids there um but there are possibilities and I'm okay with uh, I would be happy with a start for a fire in a bar mitzvah as well I'll take that yeah I was gonna say if we're talking about like going back to your like age thing and then but like I think the closest in age is like Herman's oldest son I think is within a year or two of Kylie oh I think it's the closest age we got that would I don't think that would go over well no I don't think that's a good pairing at all but I'm just saying that was the closest match I could get okay so maybe besides of our mitzvah what if like Annabelle's sweet 16 party has everyone at it dancing true okay we're that could be a fun in a couple years yeah or just fudge her age and she's a little older yeah yeah because I was like I'd be good with a sweet 16 or a quinceanera I just want a party where all the kids are there too maybe that's the adoption party that we haven't seen yet maybe that's what's to come there we go Rachel Done. I just want to see the kids interact. I mean, you know, I love kids. So I just Done. want to see the kids becoming or best no, buddies. You bring, you have like a bring your kids to work day. Oh, there we go. There we go. April. Done. They can Done. do it this season. Done. April is bring your child as bring your child to work day. Done. Let's We're get that set. done for this year. We're done. Oh, We're that- all set. <laughs> That's a scary day. It's a scary day, but also kind of hysterical. They're all going to follow in love with Gallo, though, right? They're all right, going to want to be best gonna, buddies somebody, with Gallo. When they go on the call, someone has to stay behind, obviously, to watch the kids. So they're just like, well, Gallo, you're basically just like a big kid, so you can stay behind. Right. And I actually think Severide is going to be uncomfortable with the fact that, for once, Gallo is the cool one. Not him. Oh, you mean maybe we'll actually get to see Severide interact with his godchild that they never, ever mention anymore? Who? Herman's youngest. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Yep, that's my point. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Yes. Okay, so we need the kids. Bring them all. Yep. We got this. And then lots of pictures from behind the scenes of filming that because that'll be fun. (laughs) That's really what you want. Let's be real. Oh, true. Totally totally yeah (laughs) but aside my wishes for chicago fire (laughs) so speaking of herman and gallo again making the segue here so this was funny but okay i have to be honest this gallo tracy whatever that whole thing is i this that whole storyline has been so pointless I find it really funny, actually. Like, I find Gallo, one, I find Gallo hilarious, and I find Herman hilarious, so I enjoy well, yes, this dynamic part, here. This whole thing, there were very many moments where I was laughing because I was like, only, only Gallo and only Herman. But I find Gallo's anxiety over 
being with Tracy, it's kept me entertained for weeks. See, I kind of thought, like, I feel like they kind of just threw that in to be like, oh, look, Gallo's doing something, you know, move. he's not into Violet anymore, whatever. Like, I just felt like they never really went there. Like, I really thought they were going to have, obviously, them, like, sneaking around or whatever, and then, like, Herman was going to catch them. But then that didn't happen, and we kind of got, like, a lesser version of that with this storyline. Like, I don't know. Like, it just... It did not work for me. Like that's this, true. This part because of the Herman and Gallo and really just like David Eigenberg and Alberto being such good with the comedy. This part worked for me because I thought they were hysterical, but the storyline itself, I did not care for at all. Okay, I will agree with you when they were like, Oh, by the way, she's gone. I'm like, that's unfortunate because I think this could have been played out better. Right, like, I, I really expected them to like like Herman to find them like in the back room at Molly's, like making out or something like that. Right. And then like I otherwise like it was kind of just like okay, like and really at the end of the day, I'm still kind of like, well, what's the point of this? Or except for they're the comedy. At the party, they're at this party, and she keeps wanting to hang out with Gallo, and Gallo right. keeps being like, Herman can't see me here. Right. Um there you're right. There were better ways to do it. I don't think it's real. Like, and I kind of liked the Gallo casually seeing someone. Like, I felt like that was the right next step for him. And also, like, he's establishing himself as a bit of a player, which I think is kind of fun right now. Um, Yeah. Yeah, That part I I don't mind. I just feel like they didn't do anything really with this. Like, it was like they were trying to go for it, but it didn't work. The only thing that worked is I did think the, like, the comedic moments that came out of that storyline, like, especially with this, like, Alberto and David and the way they play off each other just works really well. Totally. Um, So I I, thought this part worked only because of the comedy that they were bringing to it. Totally. I completely agree with you there. And I think that's why I enjoyed it, was it was just a fun... It was a fun cringe comedy to watch this week of like, he's so scared, but he's such an idiot. Like there is no need yeah. to tell Herman anything. Right. Um, and then I even more love like the way Ritter and Gallo play off each other. And the oh way Ritter, God. like Ritter is such a good friend. Yeah. Like he is just such a good friend in his like, I'm rolling my eyes at you. You're absolutely ridiculous, but I'm going to be there for you for everything. Like when you talk about like, favorite bro tps like gallo and ritter just give me like yeah they're up there with casey and severide like and i think in in, in, one day they i could like them more than casey and severide wow that's a big that's a big big statement i just think they they bring a humor that casey and severide didn't really have and i think that depth and just like they're so different like on paper the two of them are so different that watching them like support each other is just so so refreshing and fun to watch yeah no for sure I just it does make me wish we got more Ritter that like Ritter was getting some more storylines but I do really enjoy the Gallo Ritter stuff for sure yeah I would like to see more Ritter storylines with Gallo supporting him so you can see the counter of it or even even some tension within that friendship of Gallo not giving him the time he needs because Gallo is such an attention whore at times. Yeah. So basically this whole storyline starts. Herman tells Gallo at breakfast that Tracy moved back home and he's like, you know, 
thank you for making such a big impact on her like when she moved here and he just going on and on and like the whole time like the camera keeps panning to Ritter and Violet like smirking while they're eating their breakfast and I was just again that just a little cut of facial stuff that they were doing I was dying I loved it I loved it I wanted one of them to like spit out their breakfast and be like yeah Herman you have no idea yeah so Gallo starts freaking out be and he, you know, about telling Herman, like, what really happened between him and Tracy, because he's like, Herman's such a good man. But, like, Violet and Ritter are like, uh, no. Like, do not, you, that is, like, the most foolish thing you could ever do. Like, do not do that. So, after the call, they go on. Bowden comes into the conference room and announces that the winter conference is in Miami this year, and they need to vote on who's going to represent 51. And... Herman's like, you know, me and Cindy haven't been on a real vacation in a long time, you know, blah, blah, blah. So, like, as a way to make it up to him, Gallo has decided he's going to start pressuring everyone into voting for Herman. And honestly, what may be my favorite moment of the whole episode is, like, Ritter's, like, telling him, like, again, this is such a bad idea. Like, don't do it. And, like, he ends up hitting Gallo with, like, the Twizzler. Oh, I missed that. Oh my god, it's so funny. He like hits him with a Twizzler. He like takes the Twizzler out of the jar and like goes to eat or whatever, but he like hits Gallo with it. Uh, very and funny. I love that because the Twizzlers have always been like their, their thing. thing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I couldn't tell if I, it was a Twizzler or Red Vine, but like I still. think it's Red Vines that are their thing. But either they, way, Twizzler, Red either Vine, way, whatever. I'm it gonna is. go rewind and watch that again. It's really funny. So Gallo tries to convince Stella to vote for Herman and he's like I'll cover your shifts at Molly's anytime you want for the next three months and she like sees right through him she's like Gallo why are you doing this and Gallo's like Herman you know he's like a father to me and she's like since when and I was just I, I was dying I was it dying. was great it's so funny and so then later on at Molly's after shift Gallo's done like some unofficial polling and he's like freaking out but he's like I don't think we have a vote for Herman like he's like you know we've got me you Violet bread. He's like, but they have this, blah, blah, blah. He's like, Severin Cried and Cruz didn't talk to me, but I think they're going to vote for Cap. Like, it's just, it's really funny. And like, so Cap and Tony walk in and he goes over to them to try to get and convince him to vote for Herman. And he, and Gallo's like, I'm not exaggerating. This is our life or death situation. And like, again, the comedy just really works. It really works. It's great. And, like, Ritter comes over, and eventually they offer them free drinks for a month, and, like, they take the deal. So, he's got more votes. So, next shift, Bowden announces the winner. It's Herman. Gallo's plan worked. But where it failed is the conference is not in Miami, Florida. It's in Miami, Ohio. So, Herman is pissed that he won because he wants to go to Miami, Ohio in January. Uh, Not him. And Herman's, like, convinced he got set up. And Gallo's, like, literally just about to come clean to Herman, too. And, yeah. But instead of coming clean to Herman then, Gallo gets this great idea that the best time to come clean to him is at the courthouse, like, literally right after hobby ceremony. And Herman's pissed. It's so good. <laughs> it is really good it's just it was making it was making me try to remember in the 11 years of chicago fire didn't sever i'd once have a relationship with somebody's 
Oh, first season, the Chiefs' daughter. Yeah, Megan Fahey. Megan Fahey, who's now blowing up. Yeah. Um, but in that, it was Otis with Severide's sister, which was also, that actually is a funny parallel here. Because Otis behaved very similarly, afraid for Severide to find out that he wanted to ask his sister out. Yeah, true. true. But this was fun. Like, like you're this right, Alberto. Funny, yeah, you're right. It's it, it's Dave and Alberto are just the comedic really chemistry they comedic. have. Is, yeah, yeah, it works really well. And I think I think that's part of why I love Fire so much. Is yes, it's melodrama at times. Yes, it's like has that soap opera feel but you get some really good comedy like a comedy oh, yeah. line every episode and you have a bunch of actors who are really really good at it well and even just like we didn't see obviously a ton of match in this point but like when herman is going on like he finds out that he won the competition and he thinks he set up and he's like Mouch, did you have anything to do with it? And like Christian Stolte is like, you know, Mouch is like watching the TV or whatever. And Christian just goes like, eh, you know, like, like th- he just does this like little shrug. And it's so funny. Yes. It's I... so funny. And it's literally just one movement. Yep. But it's so good. And yep. like, yeah. The, <sighs> and like, really just like you take the comedy. Like, obviously, it used to be more Cruz and um, Otis, like back in the day. But right now, you still obviously get it from Cap and Tony, too. But, like, you really get it from, like, Christian Stolte, Dave Eigenberg, um, Daniel Kyrie, and Alberto. And, like, you can take any of the four of them and, like, mix and match them together. And it's still the comedy works. Like, they're yep. all just so good at it. it it's Yep. Yeah. But then when you put Cap and Tony on top it's with their, even, random, with their yeah. random scenes and one-liners, it just makes it that much funnier. Yeah, like the like, fact that Gallo went to them in the bar and was like having to convince them to vote for Herman, like it just worked so well. Yes, it was great. Yeah, I love, I love that group. Yeah, yeah. They do need to bring the women into the comedy though. Like that, that part. I mean, they get a little bit of their own, but um, yeah, that's I think the next step. Although Violet gets some Violet, Violet gets Violet, some comedy. She, I was rewatching the appendicitis episode again, and she, she's great on the comedic stuff too. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Um. So I guess, but I guess we're gonna see what happens to, because like I don't think we're just gonna end this storyline with like Herman being pissed. Like I, I think we're gonna see something else obviously happen. I hope so. I hope it. Like I could see it just get dropped at that point. Like who knows what happens shift to shift, but I think there are some potential especially like with molly's shifts yeah so last up we have carver oh carver so basically what happens with carver is they're on this bridge call um and basically a motorcyclist has gotten stuck on this like one of those bridges that like opens up you know goes up and down i don't know if they have a special name but drawbridge drawbridge yes that thank you so the guard is like refusing to lower the bridge which they need to lower the bridge to help get the victim down safely so but because it's company policy and he has to have the approval from his supervisor but they basically they have to do it now or else it's gonna like end up killing both severide and the victim so 
Carver takes matters into his own hands and he just like busts in that control room door and like lowers the bridge himself. So all in all, Severide and the victim make it off safely. Like they're going to be fine. But the guard is like pissed that this is how this all went down. So they go back to 51 and Bowden wants to see Stella Carver and Severide in his office, you know, to ask about what happened to the call. Because apparently the guard has filed a formal complaint with the CFD saying that Carver put his hands on him. And Severide's just like, listen, like if Carver hadn't done that, like you all would be having this meeting without me. Uh, But of course now, because the guy was a city employee, so now IED is involved and is coming over to take Carver's statement. So Stella checks in on him and is like, I just want to make sure you have all your ducks in a row, especially for the interview. And Stella's like, look, just like, don't screw this up. Like, we need you here. Um, She's like, to make us feel better about our drinking habits. And Carver's like, you know, we've come a long way. She's like, oh, you seem concerned about me. And she's like, yeah, I am. Like, you know, these IAD people, like, they're not just pencil pushers. Like, they're going to refer you up the train and, like, they have the chance to, like, basically ruin your career. Like, and there's sometimes, once it gets to that point, like, there's nothing we can do. So, the IAD shows officer shows up and it is none other than Emma. It's just like, how did she end up in IAD? So, it's funny because... This is the one I was talking to a friend who was like wanting to know how much she could potentially get spoiled by if she waited. And I was like, to me, the biggest spoiler of the episode was spoiled by the credits in the beginning. Yes. It's always how it happens. I saw her name and I'm like, great, Emma's back. Yeah. But this is not what I expected because like somebody who screwed up like Emma doesn't get put in IAD of all places. Yeah, it really sucks that the credits come at the beginning of the episode because I know we've had this conversation with, like, some people who we know are in, like, the writer's rooms or whatever, and they're like, yeah, like, it kind of sucks that, like, we create these big surprises and then they get ruined because, and, like, granted, you don't know in minute two what the situation and the context is going to be, but, like, you know know Emma's coming coming back. And that's how I felt was I was like, oh, Emma's back this episode. How did that happen? Right. Um, I was hoping it was that maybe she was a victim who didn't make it in a fire, but that was awful. Yeah. I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> but I don't know. Like, I mean, I don't like Emma. I obviously hate, like, I cannot see in her. Like, but I did feel like as much as I feel like I'm going to hate the storyline and the fact that it's going to continue into next, like the next half, you know, in 2023, I did feel like when she left at the end of last season that it felt kind of incomplete. Okay, that's valid. Like, it was just kind of like, okay, yeah, Hawkins, like, you know, yelled at her and said, like, you're done here. And then that was it. It was like, she just walked off without a fight. Yeah, I just, I'm I'm confused by this whole storyline. And both characters. Like, I'm confused how I feel about Emma. I'm confused how I feel about Carver. And I don't like feeling confused because it doesn't feel like, uh, I mean, if you go back to the beginning of the episode, it doesn't feel like a compelling confusion the way, like, Dayton is to me. It feels like a little bit of a sloppy confusion. 
of that like neither of these scenarios feel as built out as they could be well apparently so apparently in a lot of like said in these postmortems apparently emma is gonna come back i guess like and be there's like more to that in the you know once we come back from hiatus right and that's but that's and i mean i I am assuming she's coming back it's more of the the way she was presented in this episode did not feel as like how did she end up as ied how did she end up as ied why is she being nice to him like it feel i think she's being nice like so in some of the i'm trying to find i have some of these postmortems pulled up so i was trying to find let's see here i'm looking for it hold on a second um oh because so andrea said she was like you know but at the end of the day what they they say what's fun i fun is i loosely interpret it but like she's like what's fun about emma is that all she really wants is to be a part of 51 so her goals are mixed and she considers herself in some ways part of the family and then she finds herself at odds with it time and time again okay that's an interest. I feel like she should be way beyond that by now, but maybe not. Maybe. I mean, well, she's I think a little that's psycho. She, I mean, but I think that's what, you know, like, yeah, she is a little psych, but like, you know, because I kind of took obviously, which we'll get to in a second too, like her conversation with Violet, like she wants 51 to have to lean on her. Like she wants to be important to 51. That's why she made that comment about like, oh, well, you know, sometimes it's always nice to know someone in IED. You never know when you're going to, whatever her quote was. I don't remember it off the top yeah. of my head. But like, you know, she very much mentioned in like a 51's going to need me one day. And when they need me, like they'll come to me. Because I still think, I do agree with that, Andrew, that like she still, for whatever reason, she, in her head, she, you know, she's a little delusional about it, but like she wants to be at 51, like so bad. And it's almost yeah. like she'll do anything to, like, get back there. I don't think she will, obviously, but, like, yeah, I don't know. I think, I, I think her story, I'm not as, I mean, I, I am confused, but I, I, I think. I mean, but it, I think knowing that, like, there's more to come. I'm there's not, I'm more to come, like, and okay. I think it, it could go in a, in a well-done direction. Um, there's something about it that I can't quite put the nail on the head of like what makes me disappointed in how it was done. Yeah. But Carver as a whole has disappointed me. His storyline, not just him as a person. Um, I'm not disappointed. Like, cause I think like, even once we got to this point, like there's still something about him and maybe it's just at this point he keeps, he's still around that like, a little by little I'm getting pulled in the thing that confuses me and that I'm like annoyed with is that like at this point we're nine episodes in and they keep teasing the secret the secret that he has and whatever you know that Bowden saw him like there is something that has happened to him and like they're just like oh yeah the secret the scar the this but like we don't know and I just can't believe that we're nine episodes in and we don't know and I remember when we had Jake on the podcast and granted this was a month ago at this point but like we like we're trying to ask him. I was like, okay, like I know you can't tell me like what the secret is, but like, did you have you filmed? Do you know what the secret is? Like, have you filmed it at that point? And he was like, no. Oh, and that was a month ago. They hadn't filmed the secret. 
they hadn't filmed him revealing you know he may know but and didn't just tell me but like he hadn't he said they hadn't filmed like a reveal of it yet and that was a month ago okay and maybe i need to give it until we know what the secret is to to really make my judgment as to like whether i do or don't like the way they did his character development the thing is though is like i think it's hindering his character development but that but i that's it episode nine we don't know the secret when that was such a big part of those like first like not as much in these last few episodes but like the first like four or five episodes it was such a big part of like carver you nailed it that's exactly i I, like even with the pelham stuff like if you're trying to compare carver to pelham like we were talking about earlier with pelham it was like okay we don't know if we should trust this guy you know like he's got something going on and we don't know but within granted his arc wasn't that long but within like a couple episodes like we found out what it was yeah and then he then ultimately was a good guy and You're i still right. think carver it's... is a good guy he just has this past he's not willing to open up about but like come on now like how long is it going to take and what is it going to take for us to learn about this secret yeah because i think what i don't like about carver is i can't make a judgment about him yet but it's been nine episodes like i'm okay with it for one or two when you're like is he gonna be bad is he gonna be good but it's nine episodes and i still can't make a judgment and you're right it's because we don't know the secret and so ultimately it's like it's what he does in any given episode as to how i feel about him and it doesn't and i think at this point he's gonna be good like whatever the secret is it's gonna be good because i can't imagine them like in you know having him this involved in the firehouse and like having him stick around this long if he was just then ultimately gonna be like a bad guy or like it'd be like something bad so i think it is gonna be something good or maybe like he was trying to do something good but it ended up with like a bad consequence or something like maybe someone got killed because of something he did or whatever it is but like i just want to know i agree you're right it's time to find out the secret agreed um so hopefully soon into you know 2023 we will learn but so there's no world where we like carver and emma become a thing and oh god i think at this point like because so okay so emma shows up she asks him like all these questions because she's obviously the one doing the interview and it looks like she's like trying to trap carver and like make him kind of look bad and like she even asked some questions about like how he ended up at the one and how he likes it there um outside of the interview room violet is ready to like rip emma to shreds but stella's like no you've got to hold off like you know if you do something now like it's only going to make it worse for carver and carver walks out of his interview and he's like who is emma like why why does she have something against 51 and so then obviously stella fills him in and like now he's concerned that like this sociopath his words his words is gonna end up killing his career so like to answer your question i highly doubt that carver and emma would be a thing it would be an interesting storyline though but it probably not in this scenario it probably is an alternate universe where they meet at a bar yeah if he had met her at a bar yeah she seduces him that's an au fanfic waiting to happen yeah she seduces him knowing he's from 51 they meet at a bar he, he brings her to this adoption party and yes, yes. but yes. like it has to like take a while like she has to really like hone into her sociopathic tendencies and and like pretends that he's actually falling for her and then he brings her to the party yeah i mean or he can take her to molly's one night 
that makes it happen a little earlier. He's like, oh, come with me to the bar, meet some of my friends. And she's like, yep, that's what I was trying to do. Okay. Okay. We've got this, like, AU fanfic, like, all worked out. Yep. So, later at uh, Molly's that night, he comes up to Stella and gives her a beer. And he's like, you know, I just want to say thank you for always having my back. You know, not with this, just with this IED thing. And Stella's like, come on, like, you know, we're not giving goodbyes now. And and Carver's like, well, you know, 51's arch nemesis is on the case. Like, it doesn't really feel too far away either. So the next shift, Emma comes back and she's actually surprisingly has good news. Um, Carver is cleared and he just has to write, write an apology and like 51 has to pay for the door. Um, so yeah, it ends up good. But like, so as Emma's on her way out, like she runs into Violet and Violet just like lets her have it. Hey, just so you know, um, your friend Carver, he's in the clear. It's all good. I'm sure you guys were worried about it, but I'm just happy that I was in a position to help 51 on this one. Okay, then. Bye, girl. Hey! Huh. Don't pretend like you just did 51 a favor. We know you. And you may have IAD fooled for now, but we know exactly who you are. Okay, Violet. Relax. All I'm saying is that it's not the worst thing to have a friend in IAD never know when it might come in handy and again like i took her last emma's last comment as kind of like a threat like oh you know like she said i like that i forget the exact line but it's like something about like oh you never you know having a friend up in a id is like not a bad thing you know like you never know when you're gonna need it or something like that yeah i think it's setting it up for something where they really do need her right but like i don't want that either like i Emma tried to basically ruin both Hawkins and Violet's careers. Like, there's no way in my mind she ends up with a redemption arc. No. And, like, I could see them still being like, okay, worst case scenario, we have to go to IAD. Like, we have to go to Emma. But, like, there's no way that, like, it's going to end with her being redeemed. What I would like to know, I think maybe this is what bothers me, and there is no reason for the show to do it, but this is purely my curiosity and need to know everything. I need a background on everything that has happened to Emma since she she left that scene, because the fire scene, uh-huh. because I want to understand how she was reprimanded, how she ended up in IED, what that interview was like, how she convinced them this is the right job for her, why a medic would join IED, like, is a medic even qualified to join IED? Like, I need all of that information. Yeah. For context as to what comes next, and even how this happened. And this is why I'm uncomfortable with the situation, because I don't have that context. That's my decision. Yeah, I was looking. I thought they had said something about I was. I think they said we're we're gonna learn like how in one of those postmortems may not be this one I pulled up, but like that we're gonna figure out like how like we're gonna learn how she ended up at IAD. Excellent! I can't wait. Right. So I think we do. I think we are supposed to learn that. If I remember that, I read that correctly. I will take it, and I think she's a great actress. 
Um, and no, the fact that Caitlin can play this part so well that it makes me just like really hate Emma this much is like, I mean, that's a true. T- Caitlin is really good. Yeah, and if she she's... like wasn't playing such a sucky character, I would be like, I wish she stick around, but like I cannot yeah. stand Emma. So like... I'm, I am. The acting is great, and Fifty One always needs a foil. Like Fifty One always has a foil, so if she's gonna continue to be their foil, better yeah. than the guy whose name I can't even remember because he was so horrific. Um, yes, yeah. It honestly, given that this is Derek's last season and Derek loves throwing around like Gorsh and Hope and whatever, like, A, it doesn't surprise me that he brought back Emma, but like, B, like, it really would not surprise me if we didn't see Gorsh again one last time. I forgot about Hope. Yeah. But like, I think Gorsh is Derek's first love and I, it like really would not surprise me if he doesn't just like pop back in for whatever reason this year. Given that it's Derek's last season. Oh, okay. I, I wouldn't hate that as long as he doesn't stick around. Too I mean, long. at this point, yeah. Like at this point, if he just pops in just because Derek wants him to pop in, like I'm okay with that. I'll take like, it. Yeah, that's not the end of the world, but like yeah. But 51 always has a foil. There's someone always out to get them. So if it has to be Emma, bring out Emma. Yeah. So listener thoughts so heather b said i thought we would maybe get carver backstory with him being in trouble but emma was i guess the perfect ied person for the situation because she cared zero about his personal record to let any details slip and a hundred percent about how she could take down 51 honestly they should have just let violet claw her eyes out her comment to violet as she was leaving makes me worried that she will be back and that's the last thing i would want we don't have a commie but emma's still walking around hell no amen um i'm really gonna be disappointed if though if they plan to kill off carver i don't think that's happening um and all of that big secret setup was for nothing i honestly thought what they were doing was going to show stella's faults as a leader by having her dismiss carver all season finally support him professionally and then fail to support him personally because she never welcomed in it welcomed him in the way she would anyone else. Maybe that will still happen, but I won't hold my breath. I'm waiting on more Carver backstory. I still think we're gonna get the secret. I think so. I think so. I mean, it I was hope, made way I, too big in the beginning of the season for yeah. It to I not hope be. they didn't drop it that bad because, like, mm, but. Um, and then with Carver, I feel like they've been setting things up all season, but not following through. He makes vaguely sexist comments. Nothing really comes of it. He's a drinking problem, but the consequences are mild. He clearly has a secret, but we never find out what it is. Then he was perfectly set up to agree with Emma that 51 is clicky, but she gave him big crazy eyes and he was smart enough not to agree with her. Maybe in the back half of the season, that explosion will cause his drinking habit to worsen and we will actually get to see more of his personal life and backstory. That would be interesting. Yeah. But, yeah, I don't think he's getting killed off. I'm pretty sure he's been filming, but I don't think he's getting killed off. That all. would be a disappointing ending. Yeah, if for he were. sure. For sure. Um, Daniel said, seeing Emma again, especially with IED, made me rage, quit. I literally turned off the sound and left closed captions on, screamed in the void for a solid minute. How the hell is she back? Carver continues to be an enigma. I feel like he's way too underdeveloped and we're midway through the season. 
The most character development we've seen from him is when he's drunk and that's saying something. I'd be laughing harder if it wasn't so sad. I agree with Daniel there. Like, I think that's where I'm struggling is. I I don't know. And maybe that's part of the secret. Like, maybe that's just the secret and he's guarded, but something's missing from his development. Right. And I think until they go somewhere just like a little bit further that like, we're all kind of just going to be like at best, like lukewarm. Like, I don't know anyone that's like, I don't think people hate Carver anymore the way they maybe did like as soon when he was first brought on. But I think people are like, well, until we learn more about him that like, I'm just kind of like, yeah. He's on nobody's top 10 lists of no, characters no. or probably even top 20 or no. 30. They've had enough characters. You could go to 30. Yeah. No, they could go to 50. Let's be real. Probably. Yeah. He's very blah right now. Yeah. So, yeah, that is Chicago Fire. So, as we always say, stretch it out. We've got one more left. We've got PD. All right, Rachel, because I think we kind of disagree already about PD. I'm curious. So, you said you liked this episode? I am. I don't want to say I liked this episode, but I don't like most episodes lately of pd right um i found the case and like their work more compelling like with this three three episode arc three or four episode arc mm-hmm. like i have found the whole sean story sean right yes storyline yes. to be interesting and Haley's experience with it to be that being said I was ready for it to end and I like I was missing there wasn't much like character interaction here it I didn't even for a while I didn't even know was this a Haley episode or a Void episode because like you didn't get yeah. much of anything personal yeah um but unlike other episodes I actually was paying attention to the case and wasn't like wanting to fast forward through the case situation so I will say yeah so I think in general I really have enjoyed the arc of this case like and the way that's kind of developed I think for me though this episode felt a little more flat and like you said most PD episodes like I've really not become a night person like I really like by the time PD airs I'm just like usually most likely like I can barely keep my eyes open and like it's not until I usually watch them on a second watch and without commercials that I'm like, okay, this is more enjoyable. I think where this episode just in general kind of fell flat is by the end, I was like, okay, I don't know what's happening anymore. And like, apparently, obviously, which we'll get to by the end, I'll, we'll get there at the end. I'll save my <laughs> comments for that. I'll save that for the end. But by the end, I was like, I, this is not what I thought was happening anymore. Yeah, and, like, when PD is at its best, it's the nuggets of interactions between the characters throughout the case and in those little moments that make you, like, keep coming back and following them. Mm-hmm. And this episode seemed to have zero nuggets. Yeah. Like, it was... And even the, like, inter the intrapersonal drama for Haley is hard to buy like very similar to Jay all season before he left like 
So I, I, when I say the story was com- like the episode was compelling, it was purely because I wanted to see the end of, of this case play out. Not because I found the episode to be all that great. Yeah. But then by the end, we'll, we'll I'll save it for the end. But so, okay. So this episode picks up like where, right where we left off. We're at the cabin. Um, Voight calls Chief O'Neill, but, and the next morning he shows up. And Voight takes him down to where Burgess and Haley found the mushrooms. And obviously they found a body. Um, and the Emmy thinks the body is, you know, a decade old. And they use chemicals to destroy the evidence. And then we get this. You don't have an idea yet. Emmy thinks the body's a decade old. Whoever buried her used chemicals. Why bleach hydroxide? Knew how to destroy evidence. Learned that somewhere. Patty, your son led us to her. Sean is involved in this. You can't protect him. You can't save him from this. Help me bring in Sean now. He's my son. You're not bringing him in. Yeah, so... Like Voight says, he's like, you know, basically trying to convince Chief O'Neill to, you know, take it seriously that, like, Sean is the one who's doing all this murdering and raping and all these things. And, like, Chief O'Neill is just, like, not... He doesn't want to hear it. So Voight's on his way back to Chicago and he calls into the team and basically they have an idea on the body. It's this Jody Brown. Jody was 12 when she was reported missing, but that was 15 years ago now. And her parents don't remember the O'Neills, but said, you know, before she went missing, she was hanging with like a new crowd of teenagers. And they have a look like Chief O'Neill has an alibi for where he was at the time of Jody's murder. But of course, they have no location for Sean. And they know that she died by strangling. So that's kind of the basics on where we're at. So Boy goes straight to the ASA and he's like, basically, you know, they figure out like if they want to get charges for murder, then they have to be able to connect Sean directly to the cabin and the body. But that's going to be hard because the body was bleached. So there is no physical evidence whatsoever. So then Torres finds another connection, this Isla Avers. You know, she was 20. She's 20, but when she was 17, she was at the same detox as Sean back in one. I can never say that. Wanaki. I don't know. I probably butchered that. I think you just said it right. If I maybe I think so. I think so. Yeah. Um, at the same time, and then basically three weeks later, she went moved to follow him to safe place to Chicago. And basically, she's been changing her name and moving every six months since then. So Haley and Torres go pay her a visit, but she does not want to talk. And Haley's like, no, you you have to talk. Like, you have to come in. But she's still refusing to give up. Like, And so Haley tries to, like, play towards her guilt and but isla snaps and isla is like do not do that like don't put that on me and like Haley realizes that she probably took that a step too far and she kind of backs off and you know she eventually gets isla to open up 
and you know she's like you know don't he you know he being sean like doesn't have to know you talk to me she's like do it for you so isla tells her everything she's like you know he listened to me and he cared but then one day he basically took her to the woods and raped her and she's like and then i was just nothing anymore and she basically says that like some men ended up taking her washing her and like basically like they locked her up and then as soon as the doors opened once you know she was like ran and just never stopped running um Haley thinks that this is enough but the asa is like no um she's like she's not a reliable witness like they need physical evidence like she never reported it you know all these things and Boyd's like well this is the best we got so we're going for the rest he's like i don't really care what you say anymore and so they hope they're like all they basically have they have like you know once they bring him in they're like we've got 48 hours and like that's what we got to find something is this go ahead no go ahead i was gonna say is this is her is isla's story the first we hear of sean actually involved in raping someone um i think so i think it's kind of implied with the first girl that ended up killing herself i think it's kind of implied in a lot of situations but i don't think they've ever come out and said like yeah he raped me like she does because I think I was a little surprised that this went to the scenario. Like, I thought he was purely like trafficking for the money and yeah. not that he was actually a pedophile, actually involved in. I mean, not that that's any better, but um, I hadn't realized. Well, we'll get we'll get to what what he um, yeah, admits to. But like, I hadn't realized that there was so much inner Right. So much of a problem of his own um yeah inclinations. Right. But yeah, I think it's kind of implied, but not to like this extent. Yeah. So like I said, they bring Sean in and Haley does the questioning. Um and at first Sean doesn't say anything. All he says is that, you know, they should talk to the kids at Safe Place. He's like, I save them when CPD won't. Um which obviously Haley takes a lot of offense to uh, because she feels like, especially in this situation, like all she's doing is trying to save the girls that he is hurting. Um, And he even tries to turn it around on Haley. He's like, what do you think this is going to do for you? Like finding these kids, like, is that going to save you? He's like, do you think that's going to stop you from stop the pain? Um, Which like, Oh, geez. Because it's true. Like, I think, you know, Haley clearly is throwing, you know, she's not ready to talk about. She doesn't want to talk about Jay. She doesn't want to talk about anything. She just went through all her trauma, all her trauma. And instead, she's going to use it and, like, put that energy into saving these kids. And the fact that, like, Sean can see that in her is, like, mm. yeah, It's, it's problematic. Yeah. A lot of is what is pro- there's a lot of problematic aspects of this unit though of things oh, that should be happening. For sure. Yet again, let's go to realism of a police department and uh, yeah, for sure. So Platt interrupts with Sean's lawyer, who basically like forces Haley to give them like a minute and kicks her out. So they're in the bullpen. They start going over what they have, which of course they don't have much. So they basically end up like using cell phone records to find a number that Sean called twice back in 2013. 
and like that this the Victor Helms guy who we who got killed a couple episodes ago. Um, and it's basically it's registered to this Joseph Collins. He's got two priors, including transportation for minors. So they're like, okay, this is the guy who's like driving them, you know, to go sell them. So they don't have enough for a warrant, but like, you know, they're just like, we're just gonna find a way in and you know, find a way to bring him in. They're like, we don't really care. So they go to his house and they basically, he won't come to the door, but they do see him disposing of some sort of evidence and they put his hands, oh, he puts his hands on what they assume is a minor. And so they go in to arrest him, but it turns out it wasn't a minor. It was his girlfriend. And so he's like, he basically just tells him, he's like, I don't know, Sean, but like, you know, he basically just like, he gives rights to girls and like, after I get a text and like, that's it. And so he tells them the address of where he goes and, but all they find is a bunch of empty beds. So they literally just missed them yet again. So back at the station, O'Neill and Sean's lawyer are fighting to get him a release because the 48 hours are basically up and Voight's like, yeah, but we have enough. And they all go up to Voight's office with the ASA and, you know, Voight's still trying to convince O'Neill that Sean did it. And Sean or O'Neill is still in denial that Sean did it. And like the ASA, Voight's like, okay, well, to the ASA, she's like, well, why are you being so quiet? And she's like, I cannot use this stuff. Like no ASA would touch it. So now they're kind of back again to like square one. And Sean ultimately gets released. So later that night, you have two things happening simultaneously. Voight goes to Chief O'Neill's house and basically tells him, he's like, listen, if you're not going to listen to me, okay, fine. But like, here's the file, like, look at it yourself. And while that's happening, Haley goes over to Safe Place to see Sean and they have this conversation. I don't have anything for you, Haley. Yeah, you do. And I think there's still a decent part of you in there. Why? Because of this place. Because you did save some of the kids here. I think you wanted to save all of them. Do you know how many programs I've done? 22. Joined six religions, too. Did you find that out? No. Six read all these books did every kind of therapy poisoned myself talked to my dad once don't worry he didn't uh, he didn't understand what I was trying to tell him Ray wouldn't let him love me too much but I did try I I didn't want to be like this then tell me where the other girls are Sean did you move them but it didn't work Sean I couldn't fix myself where are the girls the urges They don't go away. 
because they can't. You see, bad things do happen, Haley. Bad things happen, but you can control how they happen. You can control who they happen to. Sacrifice the ones that are already broken to save the rest. Who deems them broken? I do. I do. This is what you were talking about with like the reveal of like it really being like a sickness that. Yeah, that and he an addiction, is... and like you know, that he's basically like truly a pedophile. He's not just doing yes. it for the money and you know this actual yeah. sex trafficking. He is actually a pedophile. Yeah, that is the part that like I guess I didn't get that um, vibe. And who knows that vibe initially? And I met like it was implied, but I again like you, I- I'm way exhausted by the time I watch PD, and so I just didn't make that connection that he he probably raped that that original girl yeah um and so i always just thought he was a like yes he he was a sexual predator by trafficking women but like he was a criminal and he wasn't personally a sexual predator and it kind of felt not what i expected with it felt weird it felt weird and he's also like uh he's clearly no longer sober at this point too both oh, yeah, drugs no. and alcohol are right there in that room. Um, and I, I felt like that scene was like, it felt disjointed in the overall storyline, but I did very much enjoy that scene in that conversation. Like I felt like the acting was well done there and the conversation was interesting seeing him kind of explain how he can both run safe place and save children and also be a pedophile yeah and a sexual predator yeah no i thought it was really interesting i mean it sounds weird to say like interesting because like he's talking about being a pedophile and like you know he even says at one point he's like my dad you know i told i tried to tell him but like he didn't really even take me seriously that like i am this is what i am um and so i feel weird saying that it's interesting because like you gross obviously but like i mean you're talking to the girl who can watch svu for hours and hours and hours so i i agree i thought i i did not see that reveal coming that way and i thought I really wish we actually like cared about who Chief O'Neill was because I think the most compelling part of this story is the father refusing to believe a son he knows is very flawed and very troubled already still refusing to believe this about his child and I just we didn't get as much of that as we could have because we didn't care about Chief O'Neill right Right. And honestly, the whole time I was thinking about the callback really to season one when Jay, like with the Lonnie Rodinger, Rodinger, I can never pronounce that last name, the guy that Jay was really, you know, like he, when in season one, that was Lonnie killed 
Jay's ex-girlfriend's younger brother. Okay. Because he was like a pedophile or whatever and ended up killing him. And remember the dad at the time, like, didn't want to believe that his son, like, killed the guy, you know, was in denial, basically, that his son did it or whatever. And then basically, once he kind of realized that his son was probably doing it again, he ended up killing his son. Yeah. He ended up killing Lonnie. Um, because then they accused Jay of that murder, and it turns out it obviously wasn't Jay. Um, but that's the whole time I that's what I was thinking about was that it's pretty much the same situation. It was like the dad's in denial, Chief O'Neill's in denial, and then you know, but yet he could have done something potentially if he had just like really thought, you know, your son was trying to tell you so. I mean, literally in this situation, Sean was like, Yeah, I basically tried to tell him, and like he just didn't believe me. And it's unfortunate, like, when you think about it, it's unfortunate, because, like, what can you, I I often think about in this particular situation, again, watch a lot of SVU, but, like, what do you do when somebody admits to that? Well, and I think the whole time, like, the reason that Chief O'Neill was, like, not ready to bring Sean in is because I think Chief O'Neill is dealing with the guilt that he now knows, like, he knows, I mean, he's not stupid, they, like he knows that Sean was doing this, like especially now that Voight's basically like here's all the evidence, like he knows, and I think even like an episode or two, like I think he figured it out. Like I don't think he ever didn't believe Voight and Haley when they were saying telling the truth, but I think he was having to also reconcile his guilt at the same time that like he never believed Sean when Sean basically came to him and was like yeah, I, you know, this is who I am. And Chief O'Neill never took him seriously. Yeah. But I also like, yes, I do believe his push on Voight and Haley, though, wasn't just denial. It was pushing them to get the right evidence to actually like, it's clear he has defended his son before and he was using the law in his favor. And even if he believed his son did something, they didn't have the evidence to prove it. And so, like, when it comes down to it, you prioritize your child, right? Yeah. No, I, I that's true. I think that's definitely, I think that is part of it, too. It's just, like I said, for me, I think a big part of it and I don't, I'm not saying it's the whole reason, but I do think a big part of it is him being like, once he now, like, once we learn the fact that Sean said that he kept telling his dad or was trying to tell his dad and his dad to believe him, I realized that I think part of it is the fact that Chief O'Neill now feels a lot of guilt for realizing that, like, he got all these people killed and raped, you know, basically because, like, he didn't believe his son. And yeah. like, part of that's on him. Yeah. I, that's that's probably a hundred percent that I agree there was he he was dealing with a lot I mean he clearly was dealing with a lot given what we see um I just wish he were a character I cared about more from the beginning to like have been able to uh, enjoy is the wrong word but like appreciate this arc more yeah like I said I think they were trying to if we we didn't care about Chief O'Neill or really Sean either to enough to like this reveal didn't hit the way it should have because we don't care. Right. So yeah. 
Um, but so basically they both Voight and Haley both end up getting texts and that like make them leave. And so Voight goes to like where Haley is and like when Haley leaves the building, Voight's there and he Voight tells her that like even if they had gotten something from the conversation she was having from Sean, like it wouldn't have held up. And so then we get this. You say he's clocked you going inside. Look, anything he would have given you, we couldn't have used. I would have found a way to use it. So you want to do that now? Make cases any way you can. He's in your head. So let's go back to work. You, me, and the team. That's how we're going to get them. That's how we're going to save them. I think they're all dead. Hey, let's go work. my question to you is the first thing the first time that I watched this is like when she says she's like I would have found a way to use it and so Voight's like you know so you want to do that now like Mace case is any way you can I feel like we've gone back and forth and I cannot tell like I'm like really we're going back through the same storyline again where like Haley is now like a mini void and she's like willing to bend the rules like I thought we just established that like after everything she went through with Roy she did not want to do that and she didn't believe in that anymore so then now what has her I mean you know Voight says it's just the fact that Sean's in her head but like I think that's and I think that's part of it but I also think that's not the whole story either and I think we're now going towards another mini void storyline and I'm kind of annoyed with it this story plays out with so many characters so many times throughout Mm -hmm. this whole show and it drives me mad yeah that's all i'll say is i am tired of people of all of the the younger cast or characters and being like you want to be like me now with void are you sure you want to do that yeah, and then like like it, it's happened with all of them, and it is so tired. Like, yeah. I what just... I think, just obviously, Haley's been through. I mean, Haley's got a lot of trauma, um, yes. from the last few seasons, and I feel like because we keep going back and basically kind of redoing some storyline, not redoing. That's the wrong word, but like. Again, we're kind of going through a, is Haley Voight's, you know, like a mini Voight or is she like her own kind of cop? I feel like we haven't then really got, like, she's been through so much in these last couple of seasons that, like, we're not getting to see her really deal with her trauma. Instead, it's just kind of a cyclical, a cyclical version of, like, okay well like she's just gonna then try to bend the rules again and like she's not really sitting there and being like opening everything up and really like analyzing it the way that she should and so that we don't have to see her you know deal with it you know she's got to deal with the trauma 
I guess what I get, what gets to me is that whenever anyone on the team is struggling, the way they express it is by bending the rules. That's the only, like, that is the only method they seem to use here. When, like, we were starting to get to something, and I realized I was more interested in it, when she was, like, overworking, and she was working too many hours, and I was like, why can't we lean into that struggle? Why can't why can't we find a different struggle for one of the members of the team to deal with other than now I have to bend all the rules? Like, why isn't there more of they're burnt out, they're exhausted, they miss something? Like, there is so much more they could be doing here, and it always goes back to... Is it, I'm are struggling, they I'm going to yeah. bend the... Yeah, I'm going to bend the rules. Like, there's so I, many other ways to express trauma and struggle well i think for one that obviously this show is always built on like the moral gray and like Boyd being the main person and like that was that's why you know that's what this show is built on but i think the thing that also kind of bugged me about this is that this whole episode has made it kind of seem and really the season in general i feel like we're kind of turning Boyd into like this moral center that like Boyd's the one that's telling Haley that like no, like, you can't make your cases that way. Like, you know, we'll get him, but we have to find the evidence. And I'm like, who is this guy? Yeah, totally. Like, that I mean, part is not working for me at all. Even even the last scene, like, the last couple scenes, I felt very confused. Oh, yeah. But we'll get there. But yeah, 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 yeah. So, basically, back at the bullpen, they end up being able to pull, like, a box truck from traffic cam footage, and, like, it's, of course, using stolen plates, so they're, like, that's probably what they're using to transport all the girls. So they go to where they last saw the box truck, and, you know, then it just kind of disappeared, and so they start entering buildings all around that area. Um, Haley and Voight entering, end up entering some kind of, like, empty warehouse-type place, and they end up... Haley finds the truck. Like, they split up. Haley finds the truck... And she's, like, trying to call for backup, but she doesn't have any kind of signal. And at this point, I thought that someone was going to come, like, out at her and, like, attack her. But I'm glad that didn't happen. Um, So she, of course, is like, I'm going to go in myself. And, like, Voight ends up finding her. They help. He helps her get into the truck. They open the truck. They find at least 10 girls there. I don't know how many, but, like, a lot. Um, Some are barely alive. And, yeah, so they find the girls. But so then Haley and Voight go to look for Sean and they see his truck at Chief O'Neill's house. So they're walking up to the door and they hear the shots go off and they immediately rush in. They find both Chief O'Neill and Sean on the floor. Um, And obviously it makes it seem look like the chief shot Sean and then he shot himself. So here was what I found interesting, actually. From what we saw, I couldn't tell. Like when we first walked in, I was like, okay, what happened here? And they had they had to use dialogue to tell you that. Like, I don't know if you saw it immediately and knew what it was, but I didn't. What, and I felt it, it was like a murder-suicide? Yeah, that, well, clearly somebody killed somebody. Like, I didn't think a robber came in and killed them, but right. I didn't immediately, like, I could have believed that Sean killed his dad and then killed himself. Like, I didn't, it, I did not immediately think the chief shot them and I didn't love that like Haley like I'm glad Haley said it because I was confused in the second but I also found it a little bit I don't know not not elegant not clear well not that it wasn't she very clearly said this is what happened so I like knew what it was but it didn't feel very art like 
it could have been done smarter was basically where like I kind of wish there had been something more obvious or something that we saw or something instead of having to be told in dialogue exactly what happened like for instead of having it to be set up and said very clearly this is what happened without me knowing see I feel like I picked up on it one because O'Neill Chief O'Neill was on top of Sean and if Sean had shot first then like Sean had shot him like he wouldn't have ended up on top of him that's a great point it was just too short for me to think about that second I would have said that again because I think it it became very clear when Chief O'Neill was talking to Voight that like Chief O'Neill has a lot of guilt over this whole thing and that I think he that's why he acted out of it like Okay. He just kind of got to the point where he was probably just like, you know what, like, I can't deal this with this anymore. And like, I'm sorry that I let it get this far. And so like, I'm just going to kill you. But then I'm ultimately going to kill me. Like, I'm also partly to blame for this and that like you go letting you go on this far. So I'm going to kill then myself is how I took that scene. That, that That's totally valid. And I'm going to chalk it up to me just being exhausted at that yeah. point in the night and being like, um, I... I guess. Okay. Like it just something felt off to me about her having to say it for me to understand what was happening in that moment. But it could also just been moving so quick that they put that dialogue in there knowing that people like me would have been like needed an extra moment to digest what had happened to figure it out. Right. So basically the bodies are on the floor, but then they see Sean like moving a little bit. So he's clearly still alive. And, like, Haley doesn't want to call it in at first, but Voight just immediately leaps in and starts saving Sean, you know, like, uh, doing compressions or whatever, trying to stop the bleeding. And Voight doesn't listen to her, of course, and he calls it in. And Voight, like, keeps having to beg Haley to help him, like, save the life. And, like, it takes a minute, and she finally does. But, like, again, my point being is, like, Voight, for someone who's always been, like, the antagonist the bad guy you know the like the center of like the more living in the morally gray like the fact that he's now the person being like come on Haley, let's save a life like you've got it you know like yes you're you you know i hate i know you hate sean but like you know you have to save his life like that boy being the person to tell her that was like oh yeah and especially after that last scene between sean and Haley, like not that I thought Haley felt any sympathy or anything for him, but I felt she finally sort of understood him right. and understood his his intentions and his his mindset, where he was coming from, what his motive was, and that she wouldn't want him to have the out of just being killed by his father. Yeah. Like, uh, it, it all confused me. Yeah. Well, so... In one of the postmortems, I'll read. So the question was, you know, like asking about like Upton's reluctance to step in and then how like she and Voight feel after hearing Sean's alive. Um, you know, they're talking about how like, you know, they love the idea because like, you know, at the end of the day, like we would save the monster and that you would make the decision and the dilemma of do you let nature take its course and do you or do you step in and save someone that you could save right now? And she said, I think at that moment they made the right moral decision for themselves and their ethical decision. And then obviously they're like, but the fallout is not necessarily right. Now this man is still alive and he's exactly who he was before this happened. He says to them, you can't fix me. I won't change. And he won't. So we are going to see him come back. So obviously he's coming back. I think they said in episode 12. So this isn't done. But the thing that also I thought was interesting, she says, you know, like, 
or Gwen goes on to say the showrunner, she says at the end later on in this answer that like if Haley had two minutes longer, she would have moved and saved him. But like in that moment, she's Haley's not moving, that like Voight moves for her because the chief said at one point that like you're responsible for the people you love in your life and that like Voight is responsible for Haley. But I don't believe that I I have a hard time getting on board with that too. I just I don't know. And I, I I mean I get that that's how they feel, but I just I don't know. I have a hard time believing that personally. So do we think because I'm now having some questions in my head. Now that they have found the truck and all of the girls are alive, do they have enough evidence against Sean? I don't know. I, I, I really thought that too, but I guess it's going to depend. Like if Sean has never really laid hands on either one of them, you know, on any of them and like hasn't raped any of them or like maybe he was on their way. Like, I don't know. Well, one of them said his name. So I would think that like them identifying him would be enough evidence. Right. But maybe I, not. And that's if, if, looking at it now from Haley's perspective if they still didn't have enough evidence I can see where she would hesitate because if if we're now going to the position where he is alive and he's not going to jail after all of this that is unfortunate I don't know what else to say by by, uh, Gwen saying that like you know, we haven't seen the last of Sean, like Sean's going to come back in episode 12. Like I assuming that is, they don't have enough evidence. Right. Because, well, that's what, when you said that, that's what made me think right, about he's it. He's not going to be in jail for a whole episode. Like that's not happening. Um, yeah. Unless they and, were going through like a court sent, you know, like his whole right. thing is, but like, I doubt they would do that. So I don't know, so but that's, that's kind of what gives me quite, like gives me some pause is like, okay, maybe, Maybe not, like, I just assume finding all the girls mean he's, like, he's going to jail. He's dead. He's gone. But maybe not. And maybe that's why she felt like, let's let nature take its course. And, like, I'm going to pause here and really think about whether I want to save this guy. Because, like, what else is he going to do? Yeah. I think for me, though, the fact that Sean's still alive. And now that I know that he's coming back, I'll give it you know I'll let them finish their arc but like that was when I said that this like I was interested in the Sean arc originally and then this episode fell flat is I was like really after all of this he's still like he's still alive he's still gonna get away they're not gonna charge I was like that's really how this is gonna end I was like really yeah no totally that that that, yeah I'm interested I, I hope they surprise us and the fact that he's coming back is in a compelling way but yeah, and I yeah, I hope it's compelling too because I don't want them to just come back and be like, okay, Sean's free. Okay, we still have to basically go through another round of trying to collect evidence to then take him down because that's not interesting anymore. Totally, absolutely. Like it worked for like three or four episodes in this you know part of the season, but like in a couple episodes, I'm not gonna want that. Yes, that's that is another version of that. That is exactly how I feel. I am a hundred percent in agreement. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so basically, like we said, I did, we never really talked, but like they take him to med, they bring him back to life and the doctor's like, oh, you both did good. You saved his life. And then that's how the episode ends. So 
listener thoughts. So Heather B said, I don't know how to feel about this episode. Disappointed, maybe. I wasn't really surprised with how the case ended or what happened with Sean and the Chief. They left so much open for Haley, though. And I feel like this episode was very similar to 811, which was the one where Jay tells her he loves her. She tells him she really wants to know how messed up she is. And, you know, she has her heart with heart to heart with Voight and then goes home and Jay tells her he you know he wasn't going anywhere she says in that episode Jay called her out when she started saying she would do anything to solve the case even when Voight was telling her to stop only this episode Sean was telling her that she was broken even before Jay left and adding to her spinning out and she says I get to what they were trying to do with Haley seeing herself and Sean not wanting to save him to show how far she would go to be like Voight without Jay stop without Jay to stop her and showing Jay's absence by Haley's actions instead of talking about it. But I miss the endings from season eight where everyone would sit down and talk about their feelings to wrap everything up instead of just jump to the credits. I would have been okay with Voight screaming at her for not wanting to call an ambo for Sean and throwing and her throwing Roy back in his face because he did the same thing to her then. Just anything besides the nothing we got. Agreed. Yeah. I like. I feel like there was something missing from this ending. Yes. And I and I do agree, like I said, there's still a lot of Haley's trauma to unpack. I mean, hell, they like barely, we've been begging them to start talking about Kim's trauma, which we finally brushed on the last episode, but like there's still a lot there too. But it's just, like, we don't need to be all about trauma. Like, these women, these characters, I mean, the women especially, I feel like, but, like, these women are more than just their trauma. And I wish we would just, like, let them unpack their feelings so they can finally move on from it. Amen. Um, Sarah Elizabeth said, PD is frustrating me with Haley. Don't get me wrong. I love Haley. And I was really interested in the Sean storyline, but why is she constantly flipping back and forth between following the rules and doing the things Voight way season five and six, Haley's a good cop and the stickler for the rules seven and eight. She goes down the Voight path. You know, I'm breaking the rules because they had it coming. Then we get the whole Roy season nine thing. I can't live my actions. Then, you know, the back half of season nine and what, three episodes of 10, I'm back to being a good cop and following the rules. And now we're back to, I'll break the rules, let him die. And she's like, also, let make, let's make Voight the good guy. Uh, she's like, nah, I'm done with that. It's just confusing at this point. I need a break from Haley and Voight. Let's focus on Taurus and Atwater for a minute. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it seems like you're getting your wish because Taurus is episode 10 and Atwater's 11. Great. So... Yes, and we need we need another Torres episode. Like he's like new character. He's been around now for nine episodes, and I feel like I know barely anything about him. Yep. Um. So yes, I agree with that. Definitely. Uh, Megan G said, "I didn't think the Halstead exit bothered me, but I find myself actually falling asleep before PD's over, and I never used to be that way. I'm losing interest. Casey was my favorite character on Fire, but I didn't lose fire interest in Fire in the way I have with PD." Fire continues to have characters that give the show a heartbeat, something that P does, PD doesn't always have or it lacks consistency with. Yeah. For me, it's just really a tired, like, I'm so tired by the time, like, 10 o'clock rolls around most of the time. If I don't have, like, tea or something, I'm just, like, dead. So I think that's definitely part of it for me, too. But but even if it, I, honestly, even if it were at 8... I'd still I, I have like, to probably watch it twice to actually really understand it. Well, I like the comment of like, consistency with, like, 
lacking consistency with like caring about the characters and the characters having something like that to me is the biggest differentiator between PD and the others is that like I'm and again we talked about this but I struggle with I personally have always since they switched to this model have struggled with the PD model of one character an episode because part of why I like continuity of serial television is and especially watching it week to week is like I don't want to take two months to hear about what happened to right Atwater like right and there's there's not even like 80 or 90 percent of the episodes don't even have a B storyline in them anymore yep yeah it's hard because it's like sometimes I really enjoy the like single focus character episodes, but then sometimes I wish that we weren't doing this the way yep. that we are. So I don't know. It's hard. Um, and then lastly, Emily A says, I don't understand the character choice of Haley letting Sean die. Haley consciously made the choice that she wasn't going to be that person anymore after the fallout with Roy. When she saved the rapist in the swimming pool. We also saw Jay start to rationalize actions like these. And she was the one who made him realize that who who he should be. And he literally had to leave the country for to find that person again. Haley understood that. She told Sean in 1007 that he lost who he was. So in that moment, to save Sean or to let him die, the Haley she wanted to be and the person Haley and Jay both set out to be when they chose each other is the person who saves the pedophile, not the one who lets him die. What are we developing Haley and Upstead? What are we developing for Haley and Upstead moving forward? If they're going to break up anyway, then what was the point of that final scene? Jay can't stay married to Bolivia or stay in Bolivia married to Haley without contact forever. So if the Jay we love comes back to a Haley who has now just become everything neither of them wants to be, then what's the point? That's really interesting. I hadn't really thought about it in terms of like, Jay literally just left. I mean, granted, I know a lot of people hate the way that he, just decided to up and leave his wife but he did up and leave because he was like i realized that i was becoming like void and like i couldn't do that anymore he didn't say like void but like he was basically like i realized i was becoming that person and like i have to take myself out of the situation so i could find who i was you know a while ago and like Haley was at that point when he left and now she's like turned again so if he comes back and he which i don't know if he's coming back but like if he's now back where he wants to be and she's down here, like, we're now at an impasse again. I hadn't really thought about it like that, but it makes all the sense. My PD alt-universe is Haley needs to go off and find herself. Jay needs to go off and find himself. And then they can be together. They can be together, but they need to work for someone besides Void. Like, yeah, this clearly isn't working for either of them as people. Yeah. No, it's just... And I'll be curious, like I said, and, you know, we've got 12 ups. Yeah, this is episode nine. So we've got, like, basically a whole other half of the season to go. So I'll be curious to see what they do. But, like, if it keeps going this way, I'm not that confident in it. Yep. So. I'm still holding out hope, though, that Taurus hasn't been corrupted yet. So, like, there is still hope for him. Atwater's not corrupted. Yeah, no, right. Atwater's not corrupted. And I don't think, I think Burgess and Ruzik have both hit their, we were corrupted or we were more like void phases and now they're out of it. But like, 
Torres can't go down that path. Can we, can we like send Voight on a very long vacation so that like we can see these characters, what it's like without him? That would be nice. Like, like I don't mind. I, I'm not like the people, like, I mean, I don't love Voight, but like, I find him to be an interesting, compelling, the whole gray idea, like that, that is interesting to me, but I don't like him with the other characters at all. Yeah. Like his most interesting stories have nothing to do with his team. It has to do with his own family, his own relationships. And like his, his impact on them is just kind of boring. Yeah. Well, and that's why I think too, I have a hard time believing when Gwen was like, um, you know, so in our minds, you know, it was echoing what the chief said, which is that you're responsible for the people you love in your life. And that's why Boyd, you know, that Boyd, she said, I think he knows that he's responsible for her. That's why I have a hard time believing it because like Boyd, I I mean, I think Boyd does care about, I'm not going to say Boyd doesn't care about the people in the intelligence unit, but like I've never, we've never really seen them have that kind of relationship until this point that he feels like he's now, like, I feel like somewhat now that he has no one else in his life that he's like, well, I guess I'm responsible for these people. But like up until that point, we never really felt that way. Yeah. Now that like his family is mostly gone, like, I don't understand Voight's feeling. Like, I don't understand Voight as a person outside of his job. Like, I want, I want to know what he cares about, what he, like, this is not the kind of situation, workplace, family, where I know they all care about each other. Like, like it is not that right now no. to me. No. No. And even, like, when you look back to um, Lindsay, like, the Voight-Lindsay connection added that compelling personal relationship to a character in a way that we're not getting anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, it'll, it'll, it'll be in next, the next half of the season will be interesting. I'm, I'm curious and intrigued to see where it goes. Same. So, but yeah, and that is the mid season finales. We did it. We did it. None of them quite felt like finales. No. And that was, that's, I think med. I mean, Med had kind of a lame cliffhanger with like the, oh man, Dayton bought the hospital, whatever. But like Med, I think was my favorite just because it was like the best send off for, you know, care. Like I really enjoyed that send off and then fire and then PD. Like, but none of them really felt like mid-season finales. Like none of them had that like, oh man, I'm on the edge of my seat for the next three weeks or four weeks, whatever it is till, but like, I don't feel like that. No, but honestly- at the same time, there's enough stress in the world right now. Like, yeah. I don't need to be sitting around worrying about what you got having about. what what happened. Yeah. So, like, if they wanted to end on a kind of lame note, like, it's not the worst thing. It's not the worst thing. Although we actually don't have all that long to wait. No, they come comes back, back in. I will tell January fourth. I think is what they advertise. Yeah, so one, two, three, four weeks. Yeah, so it, it could be worse, but I was surprised to see that. Like, I mean, I guess Fire had a cliffhanger, but you seem confident it's not a real cliffhanger. Um, yeah, and... Med technically had a cliffhanger. It's just kind of a lame one. Yeah, it's not one that I'm all that worried about. It's not like he's going to go and shut Nobody's down Nobody's in peril. Yeah. Right. 
Yeah. Um, so I'm, we'll see. Yeah. But, but Rachel, thank you so much for coming back and joining me. I love having you back. This thank is you. So I love being here. It is a lot of fun. Um, tell everyone where they can find you on the internet. I am RH Becker 18 on everything. Mostly Twitter. Yeah. Um, and you guys know where to find us. We are Meet Us at Molly's all across the board. Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, TikTok. Um, we are everywhere. Um, you can follow me at BrianaK13. Gina is at Gina Watches TV. She will be back next week. I don't know what we're covering next week because the week after, like a few days before Christmas, like early, like the 19th, 20th is when we're recording our Christmas episode with Emily. Um, but yeah, so I don't know what we're doing next week, but we will be back with something. And until then, everyone have a great weekend.